<laughs> he did go from like hello with the ah! dude. Sometimes that's what happens. I know the perfect way to start this. Yeah, and it's, it's already good because I, I almost forgot. So I'm glad we started. Incredible. No, we, we got we got it all here. Let's get it. You gotta check your Dropbox. Oh shit. Oh yeah. Hey, hey, look at that. Wave files. <laughs> nice. Yo. Okay, that's fantastic. Oh, dude, that's not even the best one. What's your favorite one? No, definitely a topic of the day. Oh, this is banging. <laughs> right, dude? That's fun as hell. Right? Wow. Thank you so much, Luke. Jeez, these are fantastic. And if you know who Luke is, then you're a fan of the House of Comics podcast. Truly, dude. I'm Chris. And I'm Alex. And like I said, this is the House of Comics podcast. We'll be talking to you about all things comic books and comic book-related entities across all mediums and spectrums. Woo! Um, if you're a new fan to the show, you should know we break our uh, pods down into three main segments. First segment being our filler or crisis news segment, where we go through topics and I'm uh, sorry, <laughs> we go through uh, um, news headlines uh, in the industry and um, label them as filler, things we can kind of breeze through, or crisis, things we got to stop and kind of talk about. Uh, then we'll go into our topic of the day, and today's topic of the day, very, very special one. Uh, if you've been listening, you know we've been building up to this. We'll be doing a, I guess a part two, a rendition, a reprise yeah. of, uh, of our music episode. So we'll be doing Woo. another music influence episode. Alex and I, both huge music fans to put it very lightly and casually. <laughs> right. uh, but it's always nice to find a way to bring that stuff in and kind of blend all of our interests in a way that's you know fun and creative and, mm. and also accessible. So today for the topic of the day, we're kind of going to do two two main things. We're going to do, I, I, really, I wish I would have thought of names for these things. They definitely need names. Um, well, we can figure out later and just put it in. It's true. Uh, so the first one is essentially blank is the blank of comic books. So we'll pick a musical act and compare them to a person uh, in the comic book industry, a comic book character, mm-hmm. entity, whatever it may be, um, and say, you know, I'm trying to think of an example. That's not one of the examples right. that I'm, I'm going to use. Uh, Easy. You know, uh, uh, ACDC <laughs> nice. is the, no. Mm. But you, you there's from, better from, ones. Yeah, from, Stick from, around. From there, you already got it. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's better ones, I promise. Uh, and then for the second part, we're going to do a kind of more abstract thing. We're going to talk about album covers and the artists that we would like to see maybe translate put their spin mm-hmm. their style infuse their art style into the particular album artworks that we're going to be talking about yeah yep and then the last segment of the show is of course our comic book review where we tell you guys about all the stuff we read last week perfect so to start it off um before we do the filler crisis stuff just some quick housekeeping things some things we did not mention from last week uh emerald fennel the uh director for promising young woman she has been tapped to be the director for the new zatanna film okay yep so right. a sh- shout out to her uh also some housekeeping things uh dc milestone the return of dc milestone is no longer just digital they will they push the they push the uh, debuts back for the milestone mm-hmm. return in order for them to do a full print run 
of all the books that will be a part of that return. Good. Of course, which yeah. should have been done to begin with, you know. Oh, should, for sure. Should have been no delay, but you know, we'll we'll take it how we can get it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, just got to drag some things out of people, I guess. It's it's true. It's it's very true. Um speaking of dragging things out of people, filler crisis. Filler crisis. Filler crisis, the the trinity of DC failures that occurred <laughs> since the last time we talked. Of course, I'm referring to first the cancellations or the the pulling of the plug on the projects that are the new gods and the trench that uh, Warner Brothers announced that they will not be uh, following through on those projects. Very disappointing, very upsetting. Uh, followed that up with a very strange kind of March Madness style poll on Twitter where they asked fans which stories they they would vote for. They wanted fans to vote for storylines, okay? And it was started off as being something, you know, should have been fun and, and playful. Sure. But the thing is, you actually have to, like, think about it and, and put time and effort into things like this. If There's going to be, like, real outcomes. Yeah. You know, right? So the big hoopla was in the first round, uh, it features a story about Robins, which would have had essentially almost all the Robins, nice. like in the same book. People we all know just having like dialogue, just mo- mostly dialogue driven conversations just about, you know, their their dynamics. Chilling. Literally. And then the book it went up against was JLQ, which stood for Justice League Queer. OK, so it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to understand that those two things probably shouldn't have gone up against each other in the first round. Terribly seated. <laughs> Dude, right? Like, I, are you serious? I even tweeted out, like, someone who, the person who did this either has no, like, parameter for sports or arbitrary rankings. Oh, yeah. Like, you missed the, you missed the boat on, on both of those. It's bad because, like... There's no world where someone should have put those two together and been like, yeah, this will be fine. Right. Because it's like, I mean, on a basic level, like you throw Robins at a thing and they're going to do well. Period. Period. And when you look at half the stuff on that list, the Robins would have been a clear victor no matter who they went up against. Absolutely. And then you do that and then you throw it up against something that immediately... You know, most people are going to hate because people suck for right. whatever reason. Or not True. most people, but a, a good sized chunk will immediately be like, oh, social justice. Going to lash out virtue. at it just yeah. to lash out. Exactly. So yep. you immediately put up. And then the other section of people just they're they're going to want Robin more. Right. It's true. At the end of the day, because like when you look at JLQ's um, this roster yeah. beyond Aqualad, mm-hmm. I don't really. I had no idea who most of the people yeah. were, to be completely fair. And so, like, of course, I'd rather see the Robin book. Like, right. But I would love to actually see an Aqualad thing. Like, Aqualad right, yeah. book would be dope. That would be sick. You know? And I'm sure those are great characters. But, like, th- there's no world where the average DC fan is going to vote against a bunch of Robins right. doing whatever that is. Right. And you know? so the 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 thick of it was everyone was like, oh, DC knew this. They're trying to bury the JLQ right. book. Why would you even like give us the idea if you were just going to do this to it? Right. And they're, they're, they're kind of right. Why would you present this idea and then have it go up against a thing that's what would work like anywhere Period. at yeah. any time? It was it was so <laughs> foolish. I so, mean, I understand it's a cool idea to do like right. this whole like tournament style. It's March March Madness. Yeah, I get it. Like it's, hashtags. It, it's smart. We did the same thing. Yeah, we, we, we did. were like yeah, sports. You right. Know? Let's, let's we, make this fun, right? So 
we did that. We did it way better. Oh, I was way better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give us a call, DC. Right? Jesus. At the very least, we haven't inspired the the toxic, just terrible avalanche of hate. Yeah. On all sides. Of and things. we were actually making crude jokes during ours. You know, oh yeah. Still way more family friendly. Somehow, somehow. But yeah, I saw. I remember watching that happen on Instagram, being like, "Yep, yep, this is going to be bad. Mm-hmm. This is going to be some kind of PR person's nightmare." Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the PR nightmare. The, the the hammer really fell. You know, I think it was probably yesterday. Yeah, uh, there was the Hollywood Report, and this kind of ends the uh, the trinity of uh, the DC slumps or DC failures, mishaps, whatever you want to call them. Was uh, Ray Fisher coming out and shedding more light on his um, experience right. during? Uh, yeah, I don't even know what to what to call that time under Whedon and and Jeff Johns. You know, supervision on that first rendition of the of the Whedon cut, the jo- the jo- Justice League, the Justice League. Yeah, it's crazy how everyone already hated it, and then now as all this stuff comes out, it's just with the Snyder cut coming out and being objectively good, yep. and then all these things coming out against Joss Whedon, it's just getting it's worse and worse. It's completely burying. That and, and it just—it all makes so much sense. It's all yeah. been adding up. You know, Ray Fisher has been saying this for essentially the the entire time. Yeah. Um. I think my favorite part of the report was when he kind of went into the ideas of what Cyborg was supposed to be right. and how he communicated this message to Johns and Wheaton, and they were just like, "Yeah, nah." And like. I well we we saw the we saw the Snyder cut. We saw yep. what it was supposed to be. Yep. And it was pretty clear that Ray Fisher had a very good understanding of the of the character. Much more yeah, accurate than right. was so depicted if, initially. If he communicated that the way the way he acted, I have no idea how it didn't come across to them outside of the fact that they had no intention on receiving it at all. Of course. Oh no, there was it bro I really oh god, it hurts my heart that Jeff Johns has been like he, he, it's his fault. Like I don't oh, feel bad yeah, for him. Dude. Like I don't feel bad at all for him. Like you fucked up and you need to be called on it for sure. But it hurts my heart to know that someone who had been supervising so many of the DC's multimedia stuff was doing shit and like making concessions for someone like Joss Whedon. Really, you're making concessions for Joss Whedon? Joss Whedon made two good seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and then everything else he's touched has been just not great it's well, been mediocre well going back to going back to john's i saw a couple people on uh, the social media saying well kind of what we we're alluding to the fact that he is attached to all these dc projects yeah. and his name is kind of being out there like that yeah and they're kind of and everyone's saying why isn't anyone who was a part of all these other projects speaking on the behalf of jeff johns it's a good point yeah someone you you usually expect people to step up when it's a good thing yeah if nobody steps up, that that silence can definitely speak pretty loud. Right. That, that, there's some there's some interesting things with that. So, I mean, again, I hope that this is like one of those situations where there's high pressure and Joss is a piece of shit and he didn't know and he buckled under it. But yeah, he could just genuinely be right. kind of shit. Could be. Could be. But yeah, that uh, that really encapsulate what was a, a down week <laughs> for Truly. I don't even know if I should call it DC I should call it Warner, Warner Brothers Media really yeah um, truly a downturn a lot of people have been calling for DC I guess production to detach themselves from Warner Brothers a la how Marvel Studios has its own thing right apart from Disney um, 
I highly doubt that's going to happen. Like AT and T no. has is looking to consolidate. Like we literally just cut off half of you know DC yeah. last year. I don't I don't think they're going to give it its own no. entity. No chance. So we'll see what happens with that. Filler crisis. Something some some good news. Uh, of course, it comes from the other side. Star Wars: The Bad Batch trailer. Amazing. Have you- <laughs> quality. High quality. <laughs> the crisis level event. Um, it might as well be. How are you feeling about this? Extremely excited. So the first Bad Batch stuff we got was in that random, completely unexpected season of Clone of Clone Wars we got. Right. The we it was like okay, we got five seasons of Clone Wars and we finished without really much of an ending. And then it's like okay, we get an ending on Netflix. It's like okay, we get another season out of nowhere on Disney Plus or whatever, and it's very good. If you haven't watched the Clone Wars, it's really good. Um, and you should. But yeah, in that final season, they introduced fairly early on this group of of clones who are all like, you know, clones are supposed to be genetically standardized and everyone has this linear growth pattern they go through and they come out looking like, you know, Jango Fett, which is yeah. awesome, right? Sick. Nothing wrong with that. Right. That's tight. But there are, <laughs> there are different divisions of clones that have like longer periods of time for the gestation or longer periods where they train. And that's how you get like the art troopers and the different levels of like command structure within the clone army. These cats are like straight up genetic rejects. Like they're the, they're the bad batch. Like there's just something wrong with them. You know, they're too big, they're too small, they're too smart, they're too this, that or whatever. Right. And so it's literally like just throwing together the misfits. Right. The ragtag. And it's good, dude. Like it's so cool to see them like function together. I'm really excited to have a whole season and let, I think it's time for Dave Filoni to return to animation because I know that's where his that's his first love that's his, right. that's where he belongs. As great as he's done with the Mandalorian, and as much as me and a lot of other people would like to see him take on like a Fagian role, like Kevin Fage with Marvel, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's right. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't. He's too much of a creator. Like he wants to be on the on the streets, man. He wants to be in the trenches. He wants to be drawing. He wants to be writing. He wants to be working right. with artists. He doesn't want to be this like big picture guy. He wants to be little details guy. Gotcha. So, I but exciting, that. right? Very exciting. Um, staying on the uh, Marvel Disney trailer side, new Loki trailer just dropped. Haven't seen it. Haven't was, seen was, that one. No. How was it? It was pretty good actually. It definitely yeah. looks like. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the the budgets for these things are, are what they're going to be. But yeah. this one definitely seems to be the the biggest budget of the three films really? that we've seen. I'm sorry, three movies that... Uh, God damn it. Show. Three shows. <laughs> I'm confused by them now. Three cinema. <laughs> three cinema right. that we've seen so far, uh, most definitely. And... Uh, <laughs> Trailer was fun. It you know Loki's doing all the all the Loki things. Very funny. Very cool. Uh, right. But I couldn't help but take my mind away from what seems to be the the driving force, the main story, and it's the the government. I forget which branch of the government. I think it's Sword or some the shit. Government. Uh, they are enlisting Loki or who we think to be Loki. They I think they called him a variant. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Sure. What, whatever. Timey wimey. But that and that's all. That's all it is. That is that, you're right. So because Loki's involved with the Tesseract and all of his, you know, hijinks over over time and things, they want Loki to go in and fix all of his like offshoot branches of like displaced time from his like previous actions, <sighs> dude. So almost I the whole time I watched the trailer. So I'm like, is this like DC Legends of Tomorrow? 
but we're like yeah. just Loki. <laughs> just Loki. It's it sounds like that. It sounds also kind of like heavy. Uh, mm, Not yeah. gonna lie. Yeah. Sending back the the powerful, you know, like supernatural mm-hmm. warriors from from a specific specific place to clean up the multiverse. Right. That you know, yeah. So I yeah. mean, it's a fun idea. Oh yeah, it's definitely a fun idea. Loki is definitely the vehicle to do something like that. Uh, it's interesting to see where they're gonna go with it. Are they gonna do lore dumps? Are they gonna do references? Is it gonna be Easter eggs? Is it gonna sure. be you know teasers? Probably gonna be all those things. Knowing how many people are gonna be watching this show. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be uh, interesting to see the uh, to see what they do with that. This has to be the most hotly anticipated of the trio so far, right? Yeah, dude. Fucking what's his face? What's uh, what's that? Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, man. He said, "Yeah, man, I'll do the Disney TV show." Crazy. And everyone was like, "Wait, what are you doing?" <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so it's from the trailer. You th- it looks like it's more of a continuation of the uh, return to form of Marvel that we saw with Captain, uh, with uh, with Falcon and Winter Soldier. I would definitely say so for gotcha. sure. So it's not it's not more of like the like weird. This is not a not, take. Yes, yes. Not experimental. <laughs> right. No, this is definitely is... not a take. This is Loki fans getting what Loki fans want. Like this is, this is for the people who watch Thor movies for Loki. Was that the right <laughs> choice to put WandaVision as the first thing? Then? No. Okay, yeah. So. <laughs> what? That's no. actually not a conversation. That was a stupid idea, dude. Falcon and Winter Soldier should have been the easy first choice. That was bold. That was the, that was the dumb obvious pick. That must have just got caught up in some coronavirus production issues or something, right? Well, I mean, that's what happens when you only need like three sets to to <laughs> film that's the fair. show, dude. That's totally. They were like, fair. this is way easier than we thought this was gonna be. We could we could film this. Yeah, dude, with, that's the, how you, with only eight people on set. That's literally, how you end up with with Invincible as a fucking mm. Amazon. Show basically, dude. No, like that'd be a tight thing to have as live action, but you know, we're not footing no. multiple boys' budgets out no, here. No, not so yet. So, here's a way cooler thing, probably, but it's a cartoon. Oh, God, I didn't I didn't put this down in the news topics, but did you see that, that Netflix thing? That's gonna be a, a Netflix superhero show. Oh, no. Uh, I thought you were talking about the Knives Out deal they did with oh, Ryan well, Johnson. That's in- incredible. 100% here for that. Shout out to Luke on that one as well. We, yeah. were, we were doing some jokes on, on the Twitterverse about you know what we we're going to name the, the titles. I, was, I just put like Knives with like two eyes and like Knives with like three eyes. Okay, those, that's pretty good. Right? And then he put like Knives with like with an I and the V, but then like put it in like parentheses. And I was like, Perfect. all right, this is why Luke listens to the pot. <laughs> we love Luke's work here. <laughs> we really do. Uh, speaking of Luke's work, I think that was actually the all I had for the the topics. I'm sorry, the the news segments. The news, yeah. Is there anything else that I can do you uh, think yeah, of? Can you think of anything? No. All right. Well, so let's <laughs> <laughs> nice play the stinger. I was about to say, let's get in Luke's work with this stinger. <laughs> Wow, what a great thing. <laughs> that was our first time. That was great. <laughs> I had no idea how to come out of that. We totally didn't just sit in silence for three seconds staring at each other. It was pretty good. I thought it was, it was very I thought it was casual. Uh, yeah, it was it, we all, like we just knew. We're just there. Just vibing. <laughs> uh but yes, we are we are at the topic of the day segment. And like I said previously, we're gonna get into kind of our kind of fun abstract music topics just to, you know, get a <laughs> I don't even know what to, what to what to call this outside of us getting out 
some fun, cool ideas that we have about comics Sports. and music, really, yeah. Yeah. Giving us an excuse to have strange conversations with strangers. Literally. All right, so let's go with blank is the blank of comic books. Let's do that one first. All right, you go, because I don't have, a, I have very few of these. Okay, I, so I only got like four. Perfect, so go ahead. All right, well, this is one that I've said before, and I never really expounded upon. I, we just never really had the time, really. Mm. Uh, but Donnie Cates is the Drake of comic books. Right, a uh, classic. And, and I mean that in all... Almost every single way and everything that it entails, like, you know, positives, negatives, neutrals, all that good stuff. And what I mean by that is the sense that his his prowess is undeniable. Mm-hmm. I can't sit here and say anything truly bad about Donnie Cates. Right. Outside of the fact of I've seen it. I've seen it from you. I've seen it from other people. And this you can say this about anything. And, you know, obviously comparison is, is the, you know prisoner of blah 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 blah, all that good stuff right but at the same time i can't sit here and view things without context and that's exactly how i feel about drake i feel this way about drake because there was a time in my life where i was i was a fan of drake i went through the phase of oh who is this guy i don't give a damn about this it sounds like some bullshit i don't want to really want to listen to then i went through my you know emotional phase and and time you know started talking to you know women basically and i was like okay i get this (laughs) whole drake thing now and then kind of after that it just felt like you know, you reach that phase with artists where it feels like they're not growing with you. Sure. You know what I mean? And it felt Absolutely. like that with, with Drake. And I am not even that well-versed with Donny Case's stuff, but the stuff that I have read, it just didn't feel like he was giving me that bit more that I wanted when I kept digging for more out of it. Um, the Thor one is a good example. Like, it started off with me going, like, oh, my God, dude, I had no idea Donny Case's prose was this well. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I did not know he could, like, physically write like this and have like it be on my eyes you know right uh the hmm. same thing with drake i was here like drake's flow sometimes I'm like damn dude like you can fucking rap why don't you rap, rap. <laughs> <laughs> like like dining case you write real real good why don't you just write real good all the time but i like <laughs> but i but i but i get it because they have a responsibility you know Drake has to keep the lights on at Universal Music the same way Donny Case to an extent has to have these big events do these big things for Marvel. That's what they're tasked with. Mean the seats. Exactly. So is that is that duality. So how you as a consumer receive it at different times is almost exclusively due to what their particular industry needs from them. Maybe not necessarily what they want to provide. Mm. Gotcha. So that's where I that's why I land on the dining case is the Drake of of comic books. That's pretty good. So off of that, then who would be your oh, shit. sad boy auteur choice Ooh. for Zach Thompson? Oh God! As because I actually kind of like jump <laughs> just because of the limited exposure I've had to him to someone like Morrissey from The Smiths mm. because like <laughs> again like clever, intelligent. Yeah. The only problem is Morrissey is a piece of shit. <laughs> And I don't think Zach Thompson's a no, he's way, not, he's not a piece of that, shit. From the way that he writes and the things that he writes, it's like there's no way you're a piece of shit. But he definitely like has this understanding about humans and relationships yes. that is he's so good at putting out in there in, in his work that you can just like you can read a line or you can see a panel and just like just like when you started Lonely Lonely Receiver, you're yeah. like, Well, here we go. Yeah. Like, I know this. I am in for an emotional experience. Yep. And it's crazy <laughs> that we both, both of us resonated so much with it. And the story is like a, like slightly dystopian future take of a of lesbian couple with yep. an android. Yep. 
Never like, felt so seen in my life. Right? Like, <laughs> that was so relevant to me? Right. Like, are you kidding me? I think that's, maybe that's why I didn't have an artist, musical artist for him. Sure. Maybe because I am relatively new to him compared to an artist that I would try to pair him with. And I don't, I don't think I have a comparison for him yet. That's totally fair. Yeah. Well, I only went Morrissey just because he Morrissey makes me feel ways. Oh well, yes, he makes me feel way feels about things. Provocative, you know. He definitely <laughs> gets the people going. Oh yeah. All right, what do you got over there? So this one was a fun one. I was trying to think about doing the specifics of with you because okay. we can we can mash this out in an interesting way. Okay. So obviously, when you look at if we look at DC and Marvel, those are without a doubt like your big. Your big classic rock bands, you know, whether it's like Led Zeppelin or Sabbath, whoever you want to put it at. Okay. For sure. But in this situation, stepping aside those, the indie publishers, who is the big four of indie publishers and which one is Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, and Testament? I don't think you understand how awful of a question this is. That's a tough one, right? (laughs) Dude, I've been been, like dying over it. Well, well, it's sad because isn't the dark answer that Metallica is image? 100%. Yeah. Uh, Easy, easy answer (laughs) there. You know, and it's, and it's exactly (laughs) eerily almost (laughs) the journey Metallica has taken here from like underground darling created yeah. by real like titans of the thrash scene at the time at the, like the literal scene like they were yeah. pioneers of you, the sound yeah making massive changes delivering on the level that no one expected and yeah. then hitting that point eventually where they become so big mm. they're too big to, they're commercial man yeah man they're just a rock band now they are you know, yeah, they are yeah they're you're, too you're, big to fail you're right image comics is like i'm i mean this in the best way possible in the best way possible is like generic indie comic and what i mean by that is you can pick up an image comic and it could literally be anything yeah <laughs> and that's like it's such a strange thing because um you like that's a good thing mm. too like that's like a real yes. positive absolutely you know that's like the fact that you are putting out so much quality content that it can touch so many people from so many walks of life. The fact that Metallica is probably, I can't give you the hard facts, but I know that they rake in oh so God. much money from their tours. I mean, the Black Album is consistently a top album on Billboard charts. Like, they are a huge rock band. Dude, the undeniably fact, so. The fact that they just started to have their stuff being streamable is a testament to however much money they were making before that. It's true. <laughs> and that's actually kind of almost another interesting image parallel with the way Lars was so against like the early um, streaming stuff and mm. Napster and the way he was m- making all these big moves in that way. Yep. Um, yep, I remember that. So there's some interesting things there kind of paralleling comic industry in general. Yeah. But yeah, I totally agree on that. Well, so, shit. So moving on. So then who... I mean, Slayer's the next one, all right? right? Who, is, who is Slayer out of our group here? I, I almost want to say Valiant. I was going to say Vault. Vault? So Vault's probably more right. <laughs> but I was going to say Vault for Megadeth, actually. Mm, okay. Well, I was going to say Aftershock for Megadeth. Really? I was. Then who are you going to pick for Anthrax? I wasn't there yet. I didn't thought that uh, far. <laughs> that's right. I dumped, I dumped this one on you. I had not thought that okay. far yet. So... Megadeth as, or excuse me, Slayer as Vault. Vault. That, that was almost strictly due to like content. Because like when I think of Vault, okay. I think of Autumnal, I think of Heavy, I think of um, 
uh god dang it what's the what's the ninja uh one with the vampires oh uh, bleed them dry bleed yep. them dry uh there, there's there's a couple other vault books that are just like like kind of get gritty get tough get it's hard true. like it's true you know move at that at that pace you know absolutely but yeah that's that's a good point for that the only reason i was thinking slayer versus in that regard is Valiant has a thing it does. Like, yeah. Valiant is, we're basically another superhero comics line, guys, please. 100%. And to me, Slayer is just like Slayer. Slayer record. Like, really? Like, Hell Awaits and Rain and Blood and South of Heaven? Like, they're all the same. They're the same record. <laughs> it's the same records all the way up until Seasons of the Abyss. And then, I don't know what we're doing after that, really. Nice. But Seasons of the Abyss fucking rocks. I feel like... I feel like based off of a vibe, maybe I feel like Anthrax is more valiant. That could be true. The only thing is, I don't listen to a lot of Anthrax. <laughs> Beyond Among the Living, like I actually didn't listen to a fair amount of Anthrax in high school. Really? Well, yeah, then help us out because I literally Among the Living is the only record I really I checked out hard from the Anthrax. I just when I think about Anthrax, I just think about them like in that tier, like as like the perennial like fourth ah. place. Of of the big four permanently. So when I think about Valiant, you know, when we think about like the superhero stuff, you yeah. know, it is DC Marvel, and then the next one would be <laughs> Valiant. That's, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. But there's like just in like the industry sense, not necessarily in like the content production. I would say. Mm-hmm. That's reasonable. Okay, so so moving on. Well, well yeah, wait. What, so what, what should we, what should we settle? So we can. Well, so Metallica as image. Yes, that's Slayer as. I like Slayer as Valiant. I, I get that. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll stick with Valiant for Slayer, and Anthrax. We'll lo- we want to talk about more because well, because well, I like Megadeth as Vault. Then okay, I'm, I'm down fine with that. I'm fine with that. Yes, Megadeth as Vault that. makes perfect sense to me. So then Anthrax, boom or Aftershock or Aftershock. Yeah. Mm. Or Scout Comics or Scout on, on, yeah, on yeah, Point dude. Press, man. Second uh, second sight. IDW. There you go. <laughs> IDW. Anthrax is IDW as fuck. hundred percent. Because it's like they, Transformers dude, uh, tra- and they, the fucking yes, and they have those random big things where it's like this this right. happened right. Fucking that's TMNT. Anthrax. Dude, that is oh wow. Okay, you know what? That's their cotton that. mosh. Yeah, hundred percent. That's their cotton mosh. hundred percent. All right, this is good. All right, this is yeah. All that right. makes sense. We're locking that one in. All right. Well, that was fun. That was fun. That was, <laughs> I actually really enjoyed that. That could have been the whole thing. It could have, yeah. That's what you got. All right. I got... Uh, this is a fun one. <laughs> Peach Momoko uh-huh. is the Ty Dolla sign of comic books. Okay. Elaborate. Uh, all right. This is what I mean. For I, I'm assuming our audience may not be as well-versed in the Ty Dolla sign. <laughs> so Ty Dolla sign is an R&B artist that kind of got popular, let's say, around like 2013. Maybe okay. a little bit earlier than that. And... He is just known for having like this beautiful, just like luscious, like, like croning voice. Like he's from the West Coast, from the Bay Area, uh, produces. He's just like an awesome musical cat, right? Everyone just throws him on every song, like fucking parsley, dude. Like it, it does not matter because he just he just parsley. he just sounds good, like on everything, right? And that's how I feel about the Peach from Moco variants, dude. It does not matter what the book is. It doesn't matter where it's Marvel, DC, fucking Titan Comics. She did a fucking whole Horizon Zero Dawn variant run. And I'm like, who is this for? Like, like, like <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel when like Ty Dallasine shows up on like just random. I love when he's just straight up not credited mm. on the song. 
and then he just shows up for like a couple seconds just doing some hums and highs. I'm like, this is the Peach Momoko variant of this song because I totally listened to this song for the Ty Dolla Sign feature. I, I barely know what's going on in the song. <laughs> and I feel like Peach Momoko has created like this fear of, of, of a fandom where they will buy the variant of whatever it is. I still see her um her uh, prices on the secondary markets going mm-hmm. up and up and up. Uh, like I said, it almost doesn't matter what the book even is half the time. Damn. All right. That that's sound, dude. Yeah, that's they're, they're just in. They just in demand. Well, I don't really have any other good ones, to be honest. <laughs> well, this I funny, did a very bad job. Like you I, did a lot better with this one than me. Well, the the thing is, I had a feeling that you weren't going to do a good job on this, which is why right. I got one for you. Oh, dude, please. Are you ready for this? I'm excited. Yes. Jeff Lemire is the Stephen Wilson of comic books. Wow, that's pretty good. And it's pretty right. You know, he, way, yeah. He does it all. He's been around. He's been in the game for a long time. He's evolved with the game. He's tutored in the game. He's been a mentor. He's been a mentee. Yeah, dude. That's painfully right. <laughs> Not only that, like, because Stephen Wilson also will do his own. He'll write the whole thing. Yep. And then he will produce and engineer it himself, too. Exactly. So, like, the idea that Stephen Wilson can literally sit in a room and make an entire record by himself, that's excellent. Yep. It's just like the idea that Jeff Lemire can sit in a room and write a whole uh album nice yeah. write a whole comic book by yeah. himself in almost and almost any genre excellent. you know doing any style and that's totally the thing too steven wilson going from all the stuff with porcupine tree then his solo work enough between insurgentis grace for grace uh for drowning the raven that refused to sing that was really like a 70s inspired progressive album nice. all the way to like hand cannot erase which is very like 80s rushy sounding right. like he's very versatile you know there you go it's very interesting so yeah that's actually the right one <laughs> You, you combine two of my favorite things <laughs> in a way that I did not do. So that's why you're my best friend. No <laughs> it's all, it all makes sense. Uh, the last one I had, we kind of alluded this uh, a bit before, but I kind of got into like the, the indie market a bit. I said Image Comics is the rock nation of comic books. This is what I mean nice. by that. Rock Nation, not to confuse anyone, you might be familiar with Rockefeller, okay? Mm. Rockefeller is Jay-Z's record label, okay? Which is a subsidiary of Def Jam, which is a subsidiary of, I want to say Universal. Uh, um, Obviously. Typical. The same way comic books work, really. Yep, yep. (laughs) Um, Rock Nation is Jay-Z's, like, entertainment agency, Mm. a.k.a. Rock Nation, without all of the corporate bullshit Without, also without the the guys of having to be about just music. You know, right. Rock Nation does the sports. It does uh, different forms of entertainment. You know, actors. They they they're uh, I guess what I'm saying more well versed in the the content creation art creation industry okay. than just the music industry because obviously the music industry is more focused on just the music, whereas Rock Nation is focused on creating a brand for the creator. Which is where Image kind of comes in as being the inverse of Marvel and DC by saying you don't have to have a record label, you don't have sorry, a record deal, you don't have to have a DC deal. But what we will do is give you our platform, our mm-hmm. brand recognition, our stamp of approval with the little I at the top of it saying this is a Image approved book. The same right. way Jay Z's Rock Nation saying this is a Jay Z approved managed artist. Gotcha. Yeah, that checks out. I like that. But yeah, just trying to get a little 
a little, little meta with it, trying I, to give the people a little couple, couple of looks at different industries. Yeah, I wanted to try to think about stuff like different like producers and agents yeah. and writers and Dude. agencies or Dude. even like venues and locations like what's the mat like what's the madison square, Madison square garden of comic books you know like uh, it would DC, that be uh, san diego comic-con yeah san diego comic-con yeah. like stuff like that right but you know everyone i thought of was dumb or obvious <laughs> or they weren't good well like i almost got like real dark with it and maybe yes. we can do this <laughs> Less. i'm in dark as in like it was gonna take me way too much time oh okay uh, but i was thinking about doing like Mu like lyric and music pairs with writers and artists. So like doing like bands and like acts that are like you know uh, maybe a rapper or a producer, and then kind of compare or pair those with artists and writer combinations that we're familiar with. Mm. So mm. like maybe like obviously okay, we'll, we'll keep talking about Jay Z, Jay Z and Pharrell. You know, tried and true combination, just like Tom King and Mitch Jarrett's. You know, you get a lot of different looks, you get a lot of different flavors. By the end of the day, you know you're getting a Jay-Z and Pharrell track the same way you know you're getting the Tom King and Mitch Jarrett's Dang. 12 issues. Yeah, that's a great idea. You we know? should definitely do that on the next one of these. That's a that's a good one. Nice. I also was hoping this last weekend uh, Matt and Rick were supposed to come oh, and do shit. some tracking. Nice. And I was going to ask <gasps> them to record something for us. Oh, my gosh. A, I have a couple terrible <laughs> ideas. <laughs> For them to do covers of. Hell yeah, dude. And so, but the next one, I know they would love to come and talk about stuff. Uh, so we should totally do this again. 100%. I know we're just doing this right now. Oh, yeah. We got to do it again with, with them. Oh, yeah. And we could throw in uh, one of their covers in here of a, of a superhero adjacent song. They, they don't, but they will when I ask them to. Dude, honestly, I really hope if it's not Superman by Three Doors Down, I'm going to be very <laughs> upset. It's either that or it's going to be the Five for Fighting song. <laughs> <laughs> That it's not easy to be me because the, um, the the whole the only the line is I'm more than a bird I'm more than a plane more than a pretty face on a one way train, you know that's probably close to what the lyrics are. It's wonderful, you know. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's, it's, it'll touch your heart. It'll touch your heart. Wow. Fight for fighting, incredible. <laughs> well, we we hope we touch you guys' heart with our topic today. You know. Uh, if you're music fans, uh, we're sure we gave you a lot of different looks <laughs> just yeah. now. Hope we uh, expanded your mind a bit. So with that, we're going to move on to our next kind of music segment in this topic of the day. Hell yeah. And that is uh, somehow even more abstract. Right. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. We're going to talk about album covers and comic book artists we would like to see you know, their, their take on it, on mm -hmm. those particular albums that we're going to be talking about. Y'all want to start? Yeah, I got an easy one since we already talked about it. Uh, right. this, this is one for the people. This is the one that just kind of like eases into it. Oh, none of these are for the people on mine. <laughs> but so that's probably good. <laughs> that's probably for the best. <laughs> these are not for you. <laughs> it's probably for you. Okay, honestly, this is perfect because I also did some more commercial friendly. <laughs> you, we have such a good balance between us. It's remarkable. Oh gosh. Well, I had so the Kitsy Ghost album. Ah, what a great record, right? Uh, of course, uh, Kanye and Kid Cudi. Um, if you don't know the artwork, you know, look it up, please. Uh, I already think I know who you're gonna say. Go ahead, Peach Momoko. Sure, yeah, of course, yeah. It just it just it's, makes it works so makes well, so much sense. Yeah, I'm surprised that she wasn't the original artist <laughs> for, for, for the cover to begin with. Yeah, dude. Um, but a real one that I wanted to get into was Birds in the Trap Sing Midnight. Uh, by Travis Scott, my favorite mm -hmm. Travis Scott album, uh, his uh, sophomore album. I would love to see that done by Greg Capullo. Nice. So like the album cover is just like like this blacked out, just like Travis with like these like 
like dark, like archangel like wings sitting on like mm-hmm. like a throne and you just like 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 smoking. You can't see you can't see the cigarette or anything, you just see the smoke coming from like like the face of like like the silhouette. And it's just such like a it's a rap album, obviously, but the, the right. essence is just so metal. You know Dark, what I mean? Menacing. And I would love to see like Capullo just like the edges and just like yeah. the hard, like scratchy <clears throat> lines. Like he would he would absolutely crush that cover. Yeah. You're so right. That style, that that vibe that he can just understand and, and put out into the world. Yeah is really i mean it kind of stands alone in, it, in so many ways and he's, he has like that voice i don't know what the what the version of voice is for an artist no who idea. does visual arts whatever it is right your greg capullo's voice is remarkably distinct optical voice fantastic voice <laughs> it is so distinct and fantastic that's a good choice yeah. um as a matter of fact Greg Capullo is such a good choice. Nice. That <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and go on one of mine here, which is a little deeper, but it's okay. Greg Capullo, Morbid Angel, Altars of Madness. <laughs> the quintessential Morbid Angel album, Gosh. folks. I know you all love this at home. You don't need me to tell you about Altars of Madness. You don't need to hear about Chapel of Ghouls. You don't need play to hear Chapel about, of Ghouls. I've been asking for him to play Chapel of Ghouls my whole life. <laughs> I, I, I was right there. It is a fact. Who am I asking? Everybody, anybody. If you play on a stage in front of me, I'm going to ask you to play Chapel of Ghouls. Chapel you know? of Ghouls is literally this man's free bird. Chapel, it really <laughs> is, dude. That's such a fucked up truth. <laughs> Ooh. but yeah, I mean those tracks, Maze of Torment, and all. The, I don't need to go through the list. Doesn't matter. We're focusing on the art. You guys know the hits. You guys, <laughs> you don't even need to talk about it, right? And it's so funny because it's not really my favorite Morbid Angel album cover, but. It's right. the it's the classic cover. Mm-hmm. It's definitely the most recognizable. Absolutely, and <laughs> it would also work really well for Capullo because of the reasons you talked about mm-hmm. the thick, brutal lines, the intelligent, dark art. Yep. I mean, it, if you guys are unaware for some reason, <laughs> then Altars of Madness is pretty much just a big circle of like gooey, like demons yes. writhing in agony and there's like hundreds of them essentially Absolutely. and I could just you know the way that he loves to draw all the little faces and details in the in all the Batman books and yeah. in the crisis the crossover oh yeah it would be so he would just have so much fun making every different and he's like this guy's in here for arson and this yeah. guy's in here as a murderer yep. and here's all the pain they're going through and I'm like hell yeah Greg Capullo <laughs> Metal as fuck. I actually almost picked him for a metal album. I was going to do Rain and Blood. Ah, in the style of Greg Capullo. Yeah, that's a good choice as well. Oh, yeah. All right, let's see what I got here. Trying to, hmm. (laughs) Trying to shake it up? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I'll I'll go back to rap. Hell yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Daytona, uh, the Pusha T album, but with the art style of uh, the twofer, Tyler and Hillary Jenkins. Okay. Um, who I'm big fans of, of course, from um, uh, King of Nowhere with right. W. Maxwell Prince and that kind of dirty watercolor art. I was wondering when you're going to choose that. I actually kind of thought you might go with that for um, for Kids See Ghosts. Mm, that would have been fun. In some, it would also fit, but I think Peach and Milka was the right choice. Different watercolors. Hun- exactly. <laughs> I'm a basic bitch. <laughs> so the reason why I went with them for Daytona, because like I said, it was that watercolory vibe, but it's it's dirtier, it's muddier. It does have a bit more of a of a, a, a darker tone to it. And the Daytona album cover is literally uh, the 
don't know if I should put some kind of a parental warning before this, um, but the cover of the Daytona album is a picture of Whitney Houston's bathroom right. during like the height of her being like like strung out. Um, and the picture itself, if you like like look in and really examine, it is fucked dude it is it is is a dark image it's, it's kind of disturbing actually right it is um and then the story behind it is pretty wild because kanye was the person whose idea was behind this and he ended up paying us some absurd amount of money for it. i think it ended up being like it was either eighty thousand or like in the hundreds of thousands range for like for this photograph to use for the Pusha T album cover mm-hmm. just because he felt like that was the that was unfortunately it. that was like the energy that he wanted because of Pusha T's let's just say the, the, the his lyrical content mm. um, it, it it made sense for him the same way I feel like that kind of darker tone made sense to use Tyler and Hillary Jenkins for that's good yeah fan of that yeah that one's a lot more a lot more visual so you definitely look look guys pull out your phones all right and on one tab have blank album cover and then the other tab have artwork and then you type in the album name and then you type in the artist name and then you put the two tabs next to each other yeah we're trying to figure out how to make this easy for you guys without the visuals there's there's no way this is a podcast sorry it's really not we'll we'll get that we'll work on that but that's that's good dude so okay we'll I'll get another obvious one off this list because you you know this was coming in some way shape or form J.H. Williams no, this one. <laughs> slow down. All right, just take, just just relax a little. Okay? <laughs> just relax a little. Um, this one is Liam Sharp, okay, doing the artwork or his interpretation of Dream Theater's classic Metropolis Part Two. Oh wow, right? nice. Well, of course, it makes so much sense. Nice. Somehow, it is less busy than the average <laughs> Grant Morrison Green Lantern page. It's very true. But it is by far one of the most busy-looking Dream Theater covers. So the quick and dirty of this album is time, murder, reincarnation. Easy. And so on the cover of it, you see there's a bunch of of pictures of different slides of basically of things like people's faces and like crime scenes and, and like all these different images that help to make up a face. And it's the face of the, the person who's going through this regression therapy so that he knows he can learn about this woman in his head who he's a reincarnation of. That doesn't matter. What matters <laughs> is that Liam Sharp would crush it because he is the kind of, again, the, the insane detail oriented person who could handle all the different things, who can make all those essentially panels yeah. feel like meaningful and interesting and create like this interesting collage to showcase our main character the yeah. whole time. It's a fairly simple thing, right? honestly, and the colors are pretty stark. I think it's like orange and black and stuff like that, mainly. Um, but then, like, that's a lot of his stuff in the later Green Lantern yeah. books, to be honest. A right. lot of his stuff in later Green Lantern is is not as focused on the colors, even though there's a lot of amazing color work. But it's way more focused in on, like, intricate, interesting, r- realistic, very realistic-looking humans right. and humanoid creatures. Um, and so I, that's... Part of the reason why I think he could work there. Right. Also, he's used to the mind-bending bullshit of Graham Morrison. Yes. So why not put him on probably the greatest progressive rock or metal album of all time? You know, like, totally sure. understandable. So, Makes perfect sense. Wanted to get that out of the way. No, I love to, that. It had no, to happen. No, right? Liam Sharp was was on the list. I knew it. Knew it was coming. Just For wasn't sure. sure where where or how. What's it going to be? Dream Theater is the perfect choice. Thank you. Yeah. I, I agree. 
What right. you got next? Well, I'll say my J.S. Williams one for for yours. Okay. Um, the next one, I I, I'm, I'm, I don't know why I'm so hesitant on his last name. It looks so simple, uh, but I'm gonna do uh, the Good Kid, Mad City cover by Kendrick mm. Lamar uh, in the art style of a Martin Simmons or Simons from okay. Department of Truth. Okay. Okay. So very cool. The album cover for Good Kid, Mad City is it's just a photograph. It's a photograph of a uh, a child, Kendrick Lamar, uh-huh. sitting with his uncles and his grandpa, and the only thing is their eyes are like blacked out with like a like a like a sensory bar like across across their eyes. Gotcha. Um. So the immediate visual is obviously going back to in Department of Truth, the woman in the red dress with her with her eyes xed out, and that's what you know originally drew me to it. But when I started thinking about the album and Department of Truth more from there, it just started to get like deeper and deeper and deeper. And I was like looking at the picture and then like like looking at uh, Simmons' artwork from Department of Truth. And then I was just start thinking about more about just the idea of the the album is essentially just Kendrick uh, Kendrick's um, uh, firsthand account of what is essentially a, a, a day in his life. But it was like one of like those days like where sure. like everything happened everything occurred and he just does just like the, this beautiful job of giving you just every piece of his life and <clears> like life in california family life black family life in Cobb, california and mm-hmm. the past present and you know in the potential future as, as per his projections um and it was just interesting because it made me think about my life in the context of the album and the context of department of truth only because I was thinking about who my favorite conspiracy theorists were, and they were uh. my uncles. <laughs> <laughs> I love when they would just start shooting the shit about something that I knew to be absolute bullshit. Like, like just like just like completely wrong. Like even as a kid, I'm like, right. you like you are false. But because like they're so adamant, or you mm. know, uh, loud cabin as we call it in New Orleans, is what <laughs> you just literally just talk louder than the person that you're speaking to in order to prove <laughs> your point. Right. <laughs> um, and I was just like I said, thinking about like conspiracy theories and like Kendrick Lamar and his like his his account of his life, or in essence, like his truth and kind of him coming to it by way of wanting to escape home as a means to understand it. You know, like it's it's kind of hard to to describe if you haven't like listened to the album, I guess, because mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm gonna get too much into like the like the the lyrics themselves. Right, I uh, gotcha. Right, but uh, at the end of the day, it really comes down to that that quest for like inner truth versus the truth that your environment has placed around you, which is in mm. essence like at the heart of the problem of the truth right. and at the heart of the album. It's just going about it in different ways. Like Detective Cole is trying to figure out what the hell. You know, is going on in in this world the same way Kendrick Lamar is, but you know the scope might be smaller, but the um the impact on the individual comes about in um uh, in the same the same veracity because gotcha. because their scopes are so different. Hmm. Wow, beautiful thought. Thank you. Fantastic, dude. <laughs> so here's a this is a fun one that I know you're gonna love for sure. It is um. Jorge Jimenez okay, doing the art on the classic, maybe the pinnacle of dark synth music, Perturbator's oh my Uncanny Valley. <laughs> so, 
Who could have seen that? <laughs> I didn't there's, see that. There's a couple twists in here. I, I didn't see that at all. It's not all progressive rock and metal. Nice. It is, mostly. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so Jorge Menes. That's it. That's all you can that's do. All, that's you can't all you really need. do much more than that. Right. You just It's dead air because how do you describe it? He's perfect. <laughs> Perturbator. Amazing. I mean, again, like the, as far as you're going to do the, the classic... The new the the synth I don't know the dark synth whatever you want to call that if you're gonna do new age old wave <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> making, if you're making modern music for an eighties action movie yes. you, you want to be perturbated <laughs> so Uncanny Valley by far his best album wait perturbated is one person Perturb yes <laughs> perturbated is a cat. It's one cat, as far as I'm aware. I thought Perturbator was a squad this whole time. No, dude. dude, I think it's a guy, and he plays live shows with a live drummer sometimes. Insane. Isn't that tight as hell? That's insane. And it's, it's funny. He's like, he has long hair, and he like twirls his hair, just like headbanging and shit. He's, he's awesome. Anyways, Anyways. The, the album cover is, it's, it's mainly black and white, and there's some red on it, but it's a dude like standing in front of like a futuristic city skyline, and then he's like, Next to his motorcycle, and he's it, all like tricked out in the leather. And it's the so si sick. It's so cool, man. It's so cool. It's in black and white. It's just like it is such. It's all so cool and so like stylish and sleek and, oh, and yeah. like sharp at the same time that it's very reminiscent to me of Jimenez's work with with Tinian on yeah. Batman, where it's like yeah, absolutely that, this like the cover for that could be Gotham. It could 100% oh. be Gotham oh, yeah. with a, one of the random street-level villains or, or heroes a about to hop on. <laughs> it actually kind of feels like Grifter. Um, and the cover there. So it just is – it's so perfect for that. And then the music also fits that ex same exact vibe. Like I could see 100% I could see Dick or, oh, yeah. or Jason like driving around on a motorcycle oh, yeah. listening to Perturbator on the way to something. It definitely fits – uh, Tynan's and Jimenez's run mm -hmm. uh, like like to a T like scary yeah uh, yeah for sure I totally agree to you and I mean all the, the themes he talks about usually are are typically like your classic dystopian future stuff blah 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 and that's it fits right in with Gotham in general so it works but yeah really the the art and the theme the medium and the message is all it's all perfect nice. for Jorge Jimenez nice. so what uh, what do you got uh, let's see I only really have one one or two more and the okay. one is the jh williams one gotcha so yeah I'll, yeah i'll you know what i'll, I'll get into my other one i do have one i have one <laughs> okay. metal one on here oh okay go for it all right i got this is one of my niche one uh digital veil the fantastic the human abstract album uh in the art style of joshua middleton uh, who was the guy who was doing those Wonder Woman variants that I've been getting? Oh, those and, were so cool! And it's exclusively because of the faces, because you know, Digital Veil is literally mm. just this you know nice model s woman's face with a literal digital veil. Yep, <laughs> in it's, front of it. What a good album! <laughs> so simple, so easy. Yeah, so, just uh, just fun. And like I said, the reason why I wanted Joshua Middleton on it is because like faces are his thing. So like mm -hmm. when it's just a face, it's not just a face when it's Josh Middleton, you know, it's the eyes, it's how the eyes sparkle, it's the cheekbones, it's how the nose ends and like where it starts like near the like near the eyes, like all that stuff. Like so much attention to detail, um, especially because he's uh, more of a more of a cover artist, like it has to have that kind of like big presence, especially right. when you're like that 
<laughs> that close. Right, yeah. Which is, you know, how I feel about, you know, the Digital Veil album cover. Like, it's still, you know, as simple as it is, it's striking. Like, every time I'm scrolling by, it like, it, it, it finds it me. You. Yeah. Dude, for the longest time, I had a little, like, Digital Veil, like, poster up yeah, like that. Like, I the ghost that. one I have there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, dude. It's it, sick. Dude, that album. The whole vibe, dude. It is totally vibe. That's a good, that's a good pairing, too, for that. God, I hate that the first thing that came into my head was... The, the, the digital veil the title track the pull me nice from the gallows. the experimental track because of all the, yeah right because <laughs> of all the things on there like no, I yeah. what I immediately would go to the songs I love off that album none of them were that no none of those were that, but no. I'll just never it'll never leave me <laughs> right it'll never leave my soul well the, oh, that one and uh, what's the other one holographic sight I hate that <laughs> I actually don't like that song. <laughs> It's so crazy how every other song on that album is Horizon to Zenith near flawless. It's a perfect. It's, it's like a perfect, perfect record. And then you have the title track, which is okay. And then Horizon. Her, her, oh my god, holographic scythe is just no. Wow. What? How do we get there? How? How could you do that to me? <laughs> You guys, we gotta. We, okay, we gotta put in the 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 guitarist coming in the, somewhere in here. I don't know how we can do that. Dude, we'll cut it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll cut it. We'll do the <laughs> nice. Boom, boom. Perfect. Oh god, it's so good. All, All right. right, so I'll do another one. I have a couple more. Okay. So we'll do the the JH William one together. Okay. And then I'll do one now, then that one, then another one, and then wrap it. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Well, well I'm out. I mean, after oh, the, after the one, one. Okay, yeah. so I'll do one. We'll do it together, and I'll do one more. Perfect. Okay, so this one was a must. I mean, I had to get Mike Huddleston at least one of these, right? Of course. Because I can't stop with the... Okay, bad. I think I know what it is. Can yeah. I guess? Please. All right. Hemispheres. Oh, my God. Yes. Wait. <laughs> yes. Wow. Holy shit. Oh, my God, dude. Yes, hemispheres. Are you serious? 100%. By Rush? Yes. Oh, my yes. God. <laughs> of course. And you want to know the biggest singular reason why? Is there a reference? There is oh. There is not a reference, oh. <laughs> but it might as well be. Look at this newest issue to Quorum's giant naked man. Okay, well, that's essentially the other side of the homie. Yeah. Literally yeah. the other side of hemispheres. So if you guys are uncultured swine... <laughs> You have been living under a rock for your whole life. You are not a real progressive anything, man. Unless there's a naked man somewhere in your album discography. That's preferably a, multiple albums. That's just a fact, actually. Liter- if you it's were- hard. For- yes, and r- two different Rush albums, both 2112 and Hemispheres, uh, have a naked man. Dark- Dream Theater has one. Dark Twisted Fantasy, technically. Yeah, what's <laughs> more progressive than that? <laughs> you know, for sure. Yeah, I mean, good God, dude. You're right. Wow. But- for, I mean, that's the big joke was the naked man, right. which was so expertly done in Decorum Seven, by the way. Nice, so good. But um, but it also just fits. Like, oh, yeah. like if you go the other parallel, obviously of of Dream Theater with, um, Liam Sharp. Liam Sharp, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Of like th- the themes as far as what's going on in the music and as far as the lyrical content matching the quality and the caliber of the artist, right. You're talking about it's a band like Rush that goes so far over the place in a single song like yep. uh, Livia Strangiato. Oh, yeah. Where you have like jazz elements, rock elements, proto metal elements, oh, yeah. like all kinds of weird shit happening at once. Mike Huddleston and Liam Sharp are the people to do things like that, you know? And it's... Mike Huddleston is so perfect with his sci fi world that he's created oh, yeah. with Hickman that 
it just makes sense for him to do something as as sprawling as yeah. Cygnus and the trees and all the shit mm-hmm. on that album. You know, it just it just fits. Now it definitely hits on some creepy levels. I would I would say probably why it entered into what, my brain. You figured it out, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent from from the sphere. Eerie, <laughs> truly eerie. That was wild, bonkers. Oh my god. Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So who's your who's your J H Williams? Uh, well, we definitely didn't have we didn't have no no way no way that'd be insane for sure. Uh, I had for James Williams. I went with uh Michael Jackson's Dangerous. Okay, good choice. Yeah, um, we talked about this a bit off pod uh, Mm -hmm. with my mom actually. Yep, (laughs) I was giving you a bit of a teaser about uh, I was picking a Michael Jackson album, and I went with Dangerous because so the album is essentially this kind of circus esque like imagery, but. All the things going on in the circus are like taken from, you know, parts of Michael's life. So like, you know, the, like Bubbles is in there. Then there's like a person there who is like, like a, it's like a, it's a man. It's like a regular person. But apparently it's like Michael's like driver or like something like that or was a driver at the time. And there's like all these like weird imagery, like alluding to like the like the, the inner machinations of Michael's like mindset at the time. And then in the back or maybe in the in the four if you're like where your your attention is it's just michael's eyes like peering like Mm -hmm. from all the like from the inside of the circus so the circus is like framed almost as like a castle um it's in a a stained glass style almost right that's so cool yeah and then his eyes are like kind of just peeking out like peering you know like outwards Mm. so who who better to handle all of that weird stuff, weird imagery, but also like meaningful, impactful imagery than J.H. Williams. Um, and I actually didn't take so it true. from uh, the, the Batman. Oh, that's not Batman. Bat, uh, Batwoman, Bat which is what you know we usually reference when we're talking about J.H. Williams. My immediate uh, draw was uh, Promethea with Alan Yo, Moore. That's a crazy book. That art style put that up fits way more you're right exactly. it does it really does yep it has almost more of that like not old time but like that feel that grandiose feel yes. that you have when you go to a circus exactly like there's those elements of like mythology in there mm-hmm. and then there's the tarot shit and all that yep that makes perfect sense yep so that one that one really just came to me i like i wasn't even thinking about songs i was uh-huh. i just vividly remember that michael jackson album cover and I knew I wanted J.H. Williams somewhere, and I'm like, oh, Promethea. Like, that, like this just makes so much sense. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a great one. So, for mine, it's actually, it's a Mastodon album cover. Oh, shit. It's Crack the Sky, which is an amazing <laughs> album. But the album cover itself, most Mastodon covers honestly could fit for this. Leviathan and Emperor of Sand, which is amazing. Once, once more around the sun. They're so trippy. Honestly, like yeah. if I showed like I'll show you the cover for this. I was looking it up. Oh, perfect. Look it up. Crack the sky. So honestly, most of these albums, you look at them and you would think this is like a like a hippie fucking oh, like, yeah. like a strange like trance uh, band, like a jam band or whatever, you know? Absolutely. And but that's really not. No, it. that's not <laughs> this band. They're an amazing rock band that goes everywhere from extremely heavy metal to very like contemporary like radio friendly mm-hmm. songs almost they just play whatever they want to play and i yeah. love that about them which also kind of fits in that vibe but honestly it's like the detail work and then the strange like the way that um one of my favorite things about jh williams is 
how unique and how inventive his panel work is. 100%. Always. Yes. And then to me, like the way that you have the two like emperor figures that mirror each other mm-hmm. here and then the Macedon in between them, like all the colors and everything, it just has the vibe of like a giant J.H. Williams like two-page splash. Yeah, 100%. It feels like, you know, and it feels like you could have a bunch of Alan Moore like writing in between oh, them. Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. I was talking about, you know, some some mammoth from the past, you know, that, that carried in the lights of knowledge. Oh, know? yeah. So it just fit too well. And again, I wanted him somewhere. And oh, yeah. He had to be. Had to be, had to be somewhere. But yeah. So that's where I ended up putting him. No, that's beautiful. I like that. Glad you like it. It's also a fantastic album. Yeah. So nice. there you go. Um, that's that's pretty much it for me. The only other one I had that I wanted to mention, actually, because we were talking about it in the car oh. that I came up with somewhere. Who is the artist for Far Sector, for Jemison's Far Sector? Oh, it's Jamal Campbell. Jamal Campbell. Janelle Monae's Arc Android. Ooh, One of well, my favorite records. And yeah. from the beginning, I've always been like, yo, Joe's hairstyle is oh, yeah. like one-to-one of Janelle Monae's. Oh, yeah. It's always and been so, yeah, For sure. And yeah. I mean, who's more perfect person to base that off of? Like, she is an incredible talent. She's an amazing actress. No, she's that's perfect. She dances and sings like a mother. Oh, she's so yeah. good. Honestly, I would love to see his take on a lot of her album covers because she has great artwork. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Electric Lady would also be like, you pick them. They're yeah, great. but for real. <laughs> but that one, that, they're, and they're so perfect too because they all have that like that vague sci-fi concept mm-hmm, to them, mm-hmm. right? And so Futuristic. it, just, it yeah. fits so well with also the like Afrofuturist elements of Far Sector's yep. art and Far Sector's storytelling. It's just, it's like a big dumb one. Yeah, but I just wanted true. to mention it because we Absolutely. were talking about it in the car, yeah. like trying to get a little more like like women and just other things in here. Yeah, like, variety. For both of our lists, just yeah. variety in general, whether it's different genres or different like artists and styles and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just want to throw that one in there at the very end nah, because perfect. I, you know, I thought about it as we were sitting here. No, yeah, it makes perfect sense, right? So there we go. No, that's a that's actually a great place to to end that topic off. I think at. so too, right? Yeah, that was honestly probably one of the more interesting conversations we've had on the podcast, man. We we were stretching the stretching the mind. We there. really were. Yeah, man. Like you guys don't like. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. Whatever that. If you don't like whatever that was, you don't like the House of Comics podcast. That's, that's what we're doing. That was it. That was like yeah. That was like peak us. That was definitely like just vibing off of each other, knowing each other's like thoughts, and yeah, yeah that was the pod at its best. Absolutely. Uh, speaking speaking of being at your best, let's get in the Luke's best in this Yo. stinger. It's the comic Ah, what a vibe. Okay, <laughs> that's right. We're at the comic book review where we talk about the stuff we read the previous week. Let's see what do we what do we got here? What's your distribution looking like? Oh, dude, I got some good ones. I got <laughs> I got two image books, a Marvel book that's not what you think. I know what it is, and then <laughs> I know, and then <laughs> and uh, a self published book. N- yes, that's right. Oh, that's no, right. That's no, right. No publishers. It's time. A self published book. It's time. Well, I got I got two Marvels, one DC, two AfterShock, and a Vault. Hell yeah, dude. So let me see. Let me see. You know, yeah, let me. I'll get this Marvel one out of the way. You get your Marvel one, and I'll hit a Marvel one. Then we'll just keep it moving from there. Perfect. See, since well, since a rare time, we can go Marvel, Marvel, Marvel on, yeah, on this show. It is pretty rare. Uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is Steve Orlando's Marvel debut. Shout out to the big homie Woo! Steve himself, uh, featuring Francisco Mobley on the art, Guru Effects on the colors, and your boy, 
Clayton Cowles on the lettering. Oh, yeah. Right, dude? How'd he do? These are pretty damn good. Yeah, <laughs> I was a boy. Of it. And of course, I am talking about Avengers Curse of the Man Thing. Ooh. The mini event going on in the depths of the Marvel Universe, if you will. That's really a thing, isn't it? Huh? It's well, <laughs> there was three parts in this. This is um, the, this is the thick boy. Yeah, you're kidding me. This three, this, yeah, this is this is a three part. Oh my god! Book of a three-part series. Um, the first part introducing us to a new villain named Harrower, the Harrower, talking to a bunch of old magic women. I have no, I don't know. I don't know if they're Marvel deep cuts or just strangers. But I have no idea. I a lot of this book threw me. If we're gonna off the top, off rip. Um, <laughs> a couple pages go. She's kind of explaining like her mantras or whatever her ideologies we're getting the vibe for her mm-hmm. seems like a classic steve orlando villain if we're being honest which I'm, I'm here for i'm a fan of that the part that really threw me was how he handled the first part <laughs> when you introduce the man thing they like one page his whole origin right here oh my god this page right here is is everything like how it happened so perfect if, if you don't know the man thing is what happens when you fuse the the magic of a swamp, of a magic swamp, <laughs> and the science behind Captain America's super soldier formula. I'm not joking. Man Thing is a guy, his name is, is Ted Salas, Salas, and he was trying to recreate the super soldier formula. And they got the jump on him. Someone found out about it, so he was like fleeing. And in the midst of him fleeing, I'm gathering all this from the images. They don't. They, nothing is said about this. <laughs> um, he like lands in the <laughs> magic swamp. <laughs> so the magic swamp mixes <laughs> with the, with the formula he had on him, <laughs> which creates the the man thing. You're kidding me. No, dude. <laughs> Dude, what? And now I could I I clearly just gave you guys the fast track of the man thing. I'm sure it is more compelling than that, but that's what I gathered from this. What? Dude, that, so someone call me out, please. If I'm wrong, please correct me. Um, Holy God, <laughs> are you? Oh, I'm sorry, I had to. I had to peek. Um, but I yeah. Believed you. So. After we get all that, he just pops up, or Harrow just pops up, whatever. They end up in front of each other for some reason, and then they kind of duke it out a little bit, and then Harrow, like, one-shots him into, like, nothingness. And then he, like, turns from a swamp thing into, like, a little dandelion that just, like, kind of, like, like, floats away. Gotcha. And we're like, oh, wow, that was, that was pretty intense. That was the end of part one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, part two... We, uh, the harrower has we've discovered that she has removed the, the the thing from the man she is in complete possession of the magic swamp thing not swamp thing but the, 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 the thing the that man. is of the swamp okay, <laughs> um, okay. and this she has she's been it's baited like a like a worldwide like nature like terror threat Okay. So it's like popping up in different parts of the world. So of course the Avengers have been mobilized. Yeah. And at the helm, right? Of course. And at the helm, which was kind of fun, was a Black Panther, 
Black Panther is the one calling the shots from Wakanda. And he's kind of saying, like, you know, what's 10-4 here? Like, what's going on in this sector of the world? And then we got all the Avengers just kind of chiming in, get some cool shots from Blade um, and all this, all this good stuff. And it's very clear what this is turning into. It's, I guess, a Marvel showcase of Steve Orlando in the sense that here's Steve Orlando writing all these characters. Which one do you like? Ah, and by that I mean, which one is Steve Orlando right? Because right, that's the one yeah. that gets the most screen time. Right, <laughs> and it's a, it is a very obvious that Steve would love to write a She-Hulk and or Captain America book. Okay, wow, that really makes sense. Also, right, dude. <laughs> <Of> <laughs> I, was like, I was reading this like, wait, wait, no, please. <laughs> um, so a lot of She-Hulk time. The great shot of her using a bat. Just oh my god, look whack at the something. size of her. Huge. Uh, also forgot that she's like just Hulk now. They uh, just they just call her Hulk and she talks like like a Hulk, not like really? an oh, educated she... lawyer. <laughs> okay. Um, which I'm still getting used to. I haven't seen it that much in the books, so it's gonna take some time for me to get used to that. Uh the other thing that was fucking weird, Captain America's fighting one of the fucking plant things. The plant thing takes him into the fucking plant verse. The inner workings. Sure. And he is attacked by like Captain America's Rogues Gallery, which is awful. It's it's like it's William Burnside. Don't know who the fuck that is. Frank Simpson Nuke, who is Nuke, who I only know from the Daredevil run back in the day by uh, uh, Frank Frank Miller. Miller. (laughs) Um, And then the anti-Captain America. All attack him and i'm like wow what is this is this That's... truly because ca- i don't know once again please correct me but if, if this is this, this caps rogues for real <laughs> um jesus no but this is clearly like steve saying i got the pockets of the captain america lore right and i'm like this is not the pocket i want to see that's yeah, keep that in your pocket right um that was chapter two <laughs> and then chapter three is uh Captain America finding the the man, the man himself, Ted, the man thing inside of the inner workings of the plant, and Ted is just giving him the spiel. And this is the part where it actually gets like really good. Steve starts to really flex what he's what he's good at right here, in my personal opinion. And it's that just kind of personal dialogue coming from the protagonist, almost like just like just, just the vulnerability. Yeah. And he's talking to Cap. And he's like, Cap, you're here because you're the last person I want to see. And Cap's like, dude, you're the fucking man thing. What do we have to right. do with each other? Get out of here. <laughs> um, and the guy's like, Ted, man thing. He says, because, like, you're, you're the reason I'm like this. Like, I saw you using the, the super soldier formula. And I was like, I need that. I got to have that. I want that. Right. But, you know, you were doing it for your country. You were doing it for the people, for America. I, I've just wanted it. I wanted to protect myself. I wanted to protect my family. I wanted it for mm. personal gains. And I always felt like I turned into a monster because my intent was bad. Interesting. And I always held that against you because you were always just like this beacon of good and you were using the right. same serum I was using, but you know, you weren't a monster. You just you remained beautiful your entire life. Right. And here I am just wanting to look out for myself and I end up being, you know, this this grotesque monster to everyone around me. Right. And Cap's like, I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry you feel that way. We we can we we can help you. Oh man. Um and then we get down to the the real nitty here. The 
big kind of turn at the end is Ted admitting that he actually didn't create the serum. So before, I don't know if this is Steve changing the lore here, but we we're under the impression that he initially created the serum to be like Steve, but now he's saying that he got it from somewhere else. Ah. So we're going to discover that, which I am sure is somewhere in the next Curse of the Man thing, which is in Spider-Man. So uh, I think you can already draw ah. some <laughs> saw some lines to the individuals that may be involved in creating that particular serum. Good lord. So yeah, <laughs> the Curse of the Man thing, Avengers number 1 by Steve Orlando. Fantastic. Well, interesting to say the least. Definitely. Well, interesting to say the least also applies for our next Marvel title. Nice. Which is probably not what any of the people at home are expecting. Is <laughs> this is Alien number 1. <laughs> nice. Right? Brought to you by the main reason I got this book, written by PKJ. Yes, Philip Kennedy Johnson. Wow, where's the thing with all the people's names? Where's the title card? Don't put it at the end, guys. Is it not just at the very beginning? It's, you think so? Is it not on the um on no? the inside thing? Yeah. No, it's not there. Marvel's usually pretty good about that. They are usually pretty good about that. No, it's a it's a ad for the mighty Valkyries. Nice. <laughs> Maybe it's because it's Philip Kennedy Johnson. Maybe. And he wants it his way. Well, well, well who's the artist? <laughs> Um, Salvador La Roca. Okay, nice. There we go. It's a it's a Lord dump. It's on the Lord. <laughs> oh, dump. Wow. There we go. I should remember that. Yep. With uh, with color art by Guru FX. Nice. He was on the last book. Mm-hmm. Or they? I think it's like a, a coloring company. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I think yeah. we saw some stuff about that. Yeah. Watch one of those. Uh, one of the other the Marvel the DC. Things. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so this book is pretty good, actually. <laughs> Philip Kennedy Johnson, um, who. I fell in love with because it was work with Ricardo Federici on Last Gods. Mm-hmm. Also, real quick, one of the things I did I forgot I looked right at it and didn't see it. Ricardo Federici doing the art on Nocturnal by Black, Black Dahlia Murder. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's 100. Right? Oh, really good. Oh, that's good. Oh, and for people at home, just look that one up. Right. I'm not gonna explain it. Look up it's, all these. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. Like you should look up all these covers, but also look up every Dahlia cover. Black Dahlia Murder <laughs> nice. covers. They're all sick. And he could probably do any of them, really. Like, he could definitely do more than, like, Abysmal or Verminous or whatever. The new one. Doesn't matter. Anyway. But, yeah, that's where I found him. Loved his work Mm -hmm. there. And Last God is really good because it has the epic, large fantasy stakes, but in dark, dark setting. Like, everything in there is very, like, brutal, visceral, whether it's the violence there is physical, brutal, like violence against man against man. You got violence against all these monsters, man against monsters nature, people. man yeah. against himself, hundred <laughs> percent. And there's there's more like the human nasty violence too. There's sexual violence as well and stuff okay. like that that's depicted in there, which it's supposed to be like this dark fantasy setting. So right. that's very much kind of a part of those like times, especially if we go back with like the like sword and sandal right. kind of stuff that the movies used to see, mm-hmm. um, which is unfortunate, but that's the nature of it. So when I heard he was doing Alien, it made perfect sense Absolutely. because it is this it's a dark, gritty horror movie, even though it's in space. Shout out <laughs> nice. to you, whoever. <laughs> right. Um, it's this dark horror movie that's really about what makes it so compelling and makes it so immediately terrifying i think is how it is so relatable in 
all of the aspects mm. the characters the writing the the world they live in they're using crt monitors right. everything's dirty yeah man like it looks like yeah, the Wayland Yutani, like the ship that she's on, which I'm on the Nostromo, I think is the Sigourney Weaver's ship that she's on. Mm-hmm. It is like it's like a mining ship or some shit. Like it's right. like a, it's like a, it's not gonna be clean, right? It's gonna be shitty. Yeah. Have you ever been around a mine or like Any a mine. construction site? Like it's it's nasty, man. <laughs> These people aren't clean. They're not paid to clean shit. It's true. The opposite. To, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so of course it's gritty. Of course it's it looks like that. It feels like that. And the story also looks like that and feels like that. And so it made perfect sense for someone who tells stories in that world to tell one an alien. Mm-hmm. So the I haven't talked a lot about this book, and there's a reason for that. Okay. It's because <laughs> it's mainly it's mainly setup. Gotcha. So and the setup is kind of compelling. Kind of compelling. Good lord. That kind sounds like that sounds like something. <laughs> it, we it, can get something it, out of it, that. It it pales to be compelling. It's compelling. Oof. It um so we're set up on a story where it is in it's kind of parallel storytelling. I think maybe we'll have it nice. throughout. But we have a story kind of just like Last God. We have a story in the present where we're celebrating the retirement of a Waitland Utani employee. Okay. Who is, you know, moving on from his job, doing whatever, mining space rocks, um, to go live his great life. Uh, but he's giving his final uh, recall of this of a dream he had that was basically brought on by this traumatic experience he had in the past. Gotcha. I'm actually going to flip to show you what that traumatic experience looks like because, holy God, is it traumatic as hell? He was on a ship and he was attacked by the xenomorphs. And yeah, that'll do it. That'll <laughs> screw you up on a deep level. That will affect you. So, uh, but he sees these xenomorphs in his dreams and he sees an interesting array of xenomorphs. As a matter of fact, the second page is this awesome splash. Oh, shit. Of a okay. Queen. This is sick. Really sick. <laughs> really amazing, beautiful art as far as like really capturing the grotesqueness of these things. Like the the skeletal nature of them, the gleam on the, the head. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember where I remember LaRocca from. I feel like I've seen his art before. I think I'm it was in fan. Wonder Woman. Really? I, I'm pretty oh, sure, I'm, dude. Okay. Wonder Woman or, or Justice League. Well, I can almost. So here's how it's like human face. It kind of saw his human faces. That might be more memorable for you. The humans are good. Like his his yeah. art is really good, but yeah. he shines with the sticky, gooey terror of his like blue alien horror scenes. Nice. Really love it. Um, but yeah, so this guy is giving his recount as he's about to retire. He retires. His name is Gabriel or something like that. Okay, and he's retiring because of all this nightmarish shit that occurred to him while he was just doing a job. Mm-hmm. He goes mm-hmm. home. Um, and he's telling this all to a, a bishop class android, like the bishop from Aliens. Okay. Which is pretty cool. Um, and he goes home, he sees his family, and literally, it's exactly what you think. <laughs> how do you live? Right. Like, how do you live after this kind of thing? Like, you can't. It's it's terror on him. It's, it's so awful. And so he's kind of like trying to reintegrate into society, but he still is having these terrible dreams and terrible memories. So he ends up... Um, speaking more and more to Wayland Yutani about these situations, and then at the end we have an interesting, we have an interesting development that occurs mm-hmm. on one of these stations. A group comes into the station and murders all the Wayland Yutani security what? in a brutal, like Whoa. shockingly brutal for a Marvel comic book fashion. 
Like, look at this woman just getting her head straight up blown off. Oh, yeah, man. That is dark. But awesome. I'm glad they showed it. And it is, I think it's his son. Oh, shit. Who is there to cause havoc in this, um, in a Wayland yutani lab that has a bunch of aliens in it. Not xenomorphs at first, it seems. But, yeah, they're in here dealing with this biology lab. And then at the very end, someone breaks something, everything goes to hell, an alarm goes off, and then boom, you have one of the chest burster or one of the, the face hugger aliens okay. that lays the eggs Gosh. coming right at your man. Well, so, shit. Very interesting. I will keep reading it. Okay. I love Alien, and I love <laughs> Philip Kennedy Johnson. Nice. So, And the art was an amazing oh, treat. Yeah. For sure. Well, what a surprise, but uh, a great surprise. Yeah. So yeah, huge fan. We'll be reading more Alien books. There was supposed to be a Predator book. Sure. Uh, that Thanks, was Fox. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Marvel they they pulled it on that. Uh, I guess because it's supposed to. Is it supposed to be a movie or a show or or something coming out? I, that last Predator movie was terrible. Well, the world on the street is something's coming out from Predator, and they want to make sure that there's some some synergy there. Even though you know there probably should have yeah. been some synergy with the Alien book already being out. Oh, this is way cool. This, this <laughs> right, like, and this also I don't know what the Predator book looks like, but there's no way it's as cool as this. Like like Predator looks cooler in a right. lot of ways, but there's no way it's as good as this. Right, I just can't see that happening because the Predator lore. Is never the thing that's been cool about Predator. Like it's really not. Like I'm sorry, it's just that what you want out of Predator anything is the same pacing as Alien, but instead of it being a horror movie the whole time and then like a thriller bit in it, it's a horror movie for eighty percent of it and then an action movie at the end. Yes. That's that's what makes Predator so cool is that it has the hard turn where Arnold Schwarzenegger is just like, yeah, you know what, you bleed. I can kill you, and then he does. Spoilers. Uh, it's awesome. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. But yeah, that's what makes that so. The, the idea of fighting alien, the xenomorphs, I should say, like they do in Aliens, right. which was not a really a horror movie as much as it was an action movie. Was a straight up an action movie. Yeah, is um, it's so not what I want out of that. Like right. I, I love the the pacing and the fear and the tension of. Even just a single xenomorph being a crew, it's an extinction level event of like, you just have to deal with this. You got to run. You can't fight it. You know, you need to get away and be aware. I don't want you fighting alien. I don't want you fighting xenos. I don't want you fighting predators either because predators are the thing that kills Arnold Schwarzenegger's squad of Delta troops. And he's only (laughs) able to kill because he just is Arnold Schwarzenegger and he has protagonist guns and plot armor. That's it. That's the only way he makes it out. So, yeah, I would much rather have an aliens book like this or as a as a show than right. uh, than a predator anything pretty much at this point. <laughs> slam on predator, huge slam. I, and I love the movie, the singular si- right. first predator, very very deeply. But no, every other predator anything is <laughs> not great. <laughs> All right, I'll hit you guys with uh, our last Marvel book, and uh, this is one uh, I told you guys I was going to get. I follow through. This is Silk number one. Woo! From Maureen Goo on the on, on the script. Takashi Miyazawa on the art. Ian Herring on the color. And Ariana Mayer on the letters. And I'm not gonna bear the lead with you guys. This is essentially the YA version of a Spider-Woman S S title. Mm. Um, which is fine. It was fun. It was silly. It was cute. 
you know, if, uh, if anyone should be the uh, the reviewer of the YA novels here, of course it's me and well right. versed yeah. them at, at this point, whether <laughs> yeah. it be on purpose or by accident, they, they <laughs> always come across my desk. Um, but like I said, this was fun. We get a bit of knowledge on Silk, but nowhere near as much as I thought we would <laughs> for it being number one. But uh, she's a reporter, much like Peter Parker, but not like Peter Parker because <gasps> she was in a bunker for 10 years. No, oh, God. But you need to know, but I don't know why. They just said uh, it three times. <laughs> well, that's important. She works for J. Jonah Jameson, J. Jonah Jameson. Nice. But in the current 616 universe where there is no more Daily Bugle, uh, he owns like a like a digital media company called Threats and Menaces. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's I go, pretty fun. I completely forgot about that when I was reading this. And I was like, wait, what's going on? Oh, that's right. That's what's... That's, that's the universe right now. Um, nah. So she's a, a digital journalist <laughs> for Threats and Menaces. Uh, but Jay Jonah took her on because she's, she's kind of old school. She, the, uh, he calls her analog because she you know, reads everything on paper, writes things down like like physically because she was in a bunker for 10 years. She's 10 years behind everybody. Right. And I still don't know fucking why. But you need to know. <laughs> Nothing was revealed. But long story short... She goes on an assignment with uh, one of her coworkers, and it ends up being you know, like this murder scene. Okay, uh, she writes an article about it, and instead of saving it to a draft, she actually <laughs> posts it. Uh, and the, let me let me get the title of the post. Imagine hidden sun on this bad boy. Freakish murder of the Mooligan gang raises tons of cues. Oof. So she hits send on that bad boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> How could you not click that? Right. So the Mulligan gang says, oh, my God, dude, fucking threats and menaces got the drop on us. We got to get this at the source. So they get the drop on J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, right. My. And then Silk gets the drop on them, getting the drop on J. Jonah because she sees that she sent the she sent the, the article out. and was like, oh, my God, of course, these people are going to attack the person in charge of the digital journalism company. <laughs> of course. <laughs> that was that was honestly like my immediate thought when I was like. Is that the conflict in this issue? <laughs> that, that, that these ne'er-do-wells are attacking one editor of a, of a digital journalism company because this article may or may not pick up some heat because it was posted by one... I forget Silk's name, to be honest. No. Uh, but, the, but the point is, not like she's free. She's not Lois Lane. Right. It's not like Lois Lane is doing an expose on the Mulligan gang. Right. She actually hits sin on the fucking threats and uh, menaces <laughs> article. Uh, so she beats up the bad guys, protecting Jonah, all that good stuff. Jonah's like, oh, you know, what are, what are you doing here? What do you think you're doing here? And blah, 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 blah. She hits him with the, you know, you don't know me, but I know you doing the whole, you know, uh. neighborhood spider. Sorry, neighborhood Silk bit but that's basically where it ends we meet her what seems to be antagonist who kind of just kind of just shows up at the end here uh and seems to be the person that tasked the uh actual murder scene it wasn't the mulligan gang it was this uh this antagonist using a a beast a a wolverine dinosaur-esque s creature would you look at that like i said that this all just shows (laughs) this shows up at the end of the book like, this is her looking up so like a file of the person. You flip and she is there. You flip right. again and that is the end. Boom, huh? 
And that is how Silk One ends. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, it was fun. It was cute. Like I said, if you guys have been looking for like a like a fun YA uh, kind of story that's in the Spider Verse that kind of hits those uh, Spider Man beats without having all like the convoluted you know Spider Man lore around it, I would definitely recommend picking up Silk. I don't know if this is like necessarily for me. Mm-hmm. Um, very much in the Spider Woman hive. Sure. Uh, the the fights in here, you know, no one flooded the basement on anybody in this one, nah. so it didn't didn't hit enough boxes for me. What's the point? Uh, but yeah, if you if you're into something funny, into something cool, if you got a uh, uh, digital journalism aspirations, I definitely <laughs> advise uh, picking up Silk Number One. Wow, glowing, <laughs> truly <laughs> glowing. Um, okay, do we want to switch to the image? I got one DC. Okay, go and, for it. And no image. Do you want to do the DC book? Or how do you want to do this? I, I need a break. <laughs> okay, I got you. You could take... Wow. It doesn't matter which one of these to choose. No, yeah, I you, figured all of them are going to be pretty... You take a minute of a break. <laughs> well, we might as well start with The Return, The Great. We've been waiting three months for this book. It's true. For Jonathan Hickman and Mike Huddleston. It's Decorum 7. Nice. Bum, bum, bum. Nice. Wow. Where's Huge. that stinger, Luke? We Where need a Decorum stinger. Come on. I need stingers for... Uh, I need stingers for Silk Loop. I need stingers for Silk <laughs> uh, Okay. <laughs> Decorum is good. Um, it keeps me, <laughs> it's so good. It keeps being good. And it's even better now because I know what's happening, guys. Nice, we dude. know what's happening. Hell we, yeah. It's finally. become very clear that there is a story with characters that are changing. It's all happening. It's wonderful. Um, we spent our time, the first couple of issues, really flushing out the galaxy. The sec- next couple issues, meeting um, the Brotherhood of Win- No. Yes, the Sisterhood of Man. Yes. I'm trying to remember <laughs> our protagonist's name, and I promised myself I wouldn't forget it. Nice. I like hard was like I you cannot forget it. it's it's Niha something. Oh, it's oh, oh man, it's not a real uh, nice. It's tough. It's nice. tough. It's a tough name for your boy to constantly have <laughs> in the back of his mind. Any hoozle. Now, in our <laughs> past couple issues, we have been given our main plot. The Church of the Singularity is this ages-old entity that worships AI, essentially. And they are themselves all robots and AI. They are this singular, not hive mind, but force that is set out to propagate and spread out their AI religion and dominance. But they've been thrown some different blows over time right right um including this interesting thing that happened with a creator mm. now the beginning of this book is sister i think her name is sister ma actually that's the the, the black lady with the um, oh the, the big the sword giant sword yeah. on her front nice um love it she's fantastic and she's talking with like some of the like big brains who are going to okay. help them find what they've been tasked to do find this egg that nice. this motherhood cult is trying to birth. They're trying to birth this god, essentially. The celestial and, egg. Yes, the celestial egg. And we've been trying to do this for a long time, apparently. 400 we've, years. We've never been able to do it. 400 years. Like, <laughs> shout out <laughs> to ReZero. God damn it. Oh, man. But yeah, for 400 years. More like 4 million years, probably. Jesus. But wow. it's, it's been a while they've been trying to hatch this freaking egg. All right. So, 
But our girl and the, all the girls, as a matter of fact, the strange, weird egg girl, the stork woman who is best girl for sure, angry girl with a mohawk, um, classy lady assassin, and Niha have all <laughs> been assigned <laughs> to try to find and exterminate. Real big deal. They're assassins, right? right. You got to kill the target. Yes. That's what you're here for. Right. And job. There's, there's a whole training arc about killing people. <laughs> so thing. we have... Everyone's kind of like they get the they get the Avengers call right to nice. go find this thing Lit. to go find the the giant diamond that we've seen all the mothers <laughs> on in the previous issues right the red one so no. yep the red one yeah nice. they're gonna find that and they're gonna find the egg and they're gonna kill everybody involved with that easy easy peasy <laughs> so here's the problem galaxy large <laughs> egg small <laughs> hard to find this is actually a very big egg. But in the in relative terms to a galaxy, very small. So that's what um, Sister Ma was talking to, with the the eggheads in the beginning about. They're okay. talking about how hard this is going to be to find, and they were like, they put in all these extra calculations. They had a little bit of recap there, and essentially they're like, yeah, there's like a five percent chance we're going to find this thing. And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? Right. Like that's almost like a line for line. Like she drops f bombs <laughs> like crazy. Nice, dude. But which I love. And they're like, we're, look, we're sorry. We're trying our best. Like, we can't do any better than this. Like, it, it, they're like, this is like a galactic improbability. Like, the chance for anyone to find this thing is so small that we have to have our lead character find it in the next few minutes. <laughs> and that's what happens. Perfect. Wow, it's right she there. She finds it on what is essentially a hole in the ground in like a, the, an alley in Brooklyn. Nice. What, essentially, the space Brooklyn. So it's like survival rules. <laughs> <laughs> She finds it completely by accident immediately after getting the call to find this thing. Nice. So what do you do? Well, you go in. <laughs> she can't doing? believe it. She goes in, little mini lightsaber, cuts it open. Huddleston art. Huddleston. Mm, nice, dude. Huddleston. Um, amazing. She goes in there, and she cuts open the goddamn egg. She cuts the egg open. We don't know if this thing's ready. We don't know what the hell this thing is at all. Wait. We know it's some kind of God-man thing. Right. I thought there was something alive in there. There, Well, <laughs> there usually is. And there is this time as well. And that's when we get this awesome series of panels where our Eggman falls out. We get the big Rush nice. album you know, spread. Amazing. And then he starts trying to talk with her. And he he can't speak. He's like he's like stupid. <laughs> he's like he's like an idiot. He's like sitting there going, "Ort Higby, rub, rub, ort, ort. He's a baby. He's like a baby. Yeah, he's <laughs> underdeveloped. Even though he's like is like the perfect man with the abs <laughs> and, and all that stuff. God. He's this creature with no top of his head. And um, yeah, so she <laughs> makes an interesting decision here. Kills it. No. Oh. <laughs> she doesn't actually if you kill it, it would have almost been more interesting because that would have been way against her type also noodled blueprint 2.0 just in case very important guys go back and look at the first one it's super good still um though this one is missing the synth egg this time mm. Mm. so she decides she's going to hide this person why I was asking you. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I <laughs> they don't tell me. Uh, she just makes this decision, and we know she's not a great assassin, right? Like she's she's a capable person. She's she learns well. She's good at what she does. She would be a good assassin if she was like more into killing people. To be right. honest, she's not really a killer. So while this is happening, we have a meetup between the Church of the Singularity and one of these. 
I'm not sure who this figure is associated with exactly yet, but they saw Niha moving the whatever, the Vitruvian man, essentially, this this egg boy. Right. And they have a conversation about the nature of this. And this is where we also start getting a little lore about the church, the singularity. They are truly within the classic Hickman lore dump. Nice. They're this truly ancient religion, like I said earlier, that revolves around their AI. And there's this period in their history that they separate with, um, they have their years as being MS and, um, and PM. And it's, make and it's the maker it's maker state and then post maker mm. so once that maker the the god birth happens that causes the schism there's a god hunt and then everything changes okay they start to go after the mothers they start to expand their own entity their own empire that's kind of what we saw at the beginning of the very the first book with the robo conquistadors doing their thing no. which is still one of the coolest things i've ever seen so sick so Love it. So this is kind of we're starting to flesh these desires these out. The, the, what are the motivations for each of the the forces? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they're after this maker because it is extremely important to their religion. Probably in a negative way, or else they wouldn't want to be killed before <laughs> it even. They tried to completely annihilate this the motherhood. Right. So they have this meeting. We're not exactly sure the extent of what this means as far as this meeting goes between the two. But it looks like they're basically just snitching and they're telling the church, <laughs> hey, did you know that the sisterhood of man failed? They failed <laughs> twice. They failed hard. Damn. This man is out here alive and he's being hidden from us. That's that's bad. So Ma it decides we're doing the classic, classic comic book play of everybody who trained with you, who you betrayed. They are going to hunt you down now. Nice. So she calls out to Mohawk lady, stork woman, crab girl. Nice. They says, hey, we're looking for Nia. She stole that whatever was in the egg, and we got to kill her and whatever was in the egg. Right. Now. Our whole rep's on the line. All the money's on the line. Make this happen. Classic. And who else gets pinged by this? Her mentor. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Conflict. Massive conflict there. The person who is the whole reason she's here, the whole reason she's an assassin, yep. who sunk years of her life into her training and loves her deeply. Wow, we're moving. This <laughs> this was a pace. Yeah, we're, we're, we're moving. Yeah, we spent five books explaining what this world was, and then two books to kick your ass. Nice, <laughs> basically. Hell yeah. But I mean, it's good. It continues to be good. I was telling like at the the party I went to recently the outdoor you know fairly limited social experience nice. that I went to celebrating Daniel happy birthday Daniel shout out friend of the pod comic book reader just all around quality gentleman and scholar um, <laughs> I was telling him and his friends Caesar specifically about this book and how you need to go read this book <laughs> it still need you need to still read this book classic still, it, this is imagine that th I know right <laughs> Hickman this and it was funny because their their initial um, problem not their problem but their trepidation surrounding it was Hickman's expansive X-Men universe well, which entails a half dozen different titles literally trying to keep up with that more yeah yeah I mean that's a, that's a lot of money that's a lot of time that's a, a huge, lot of individuals playing a part as well yeah how do you keeping track of all that is so crazy and i was like well that's the great thing about decorum is he doesn't get to have you know big marvel money to throw yeah. at a half dozen books right he's having to tell his entire crazy sci-fi story 
right, right here. here. Mm-hmm. And he was like, uh, you know, one he likes Rick Remender. And so he was like, oh, like kind of East of West-esque. Mm-hmm. And it's very much actually like East of West-esque in the best way possible. So if you want that sprawling Hickman vibe and ingenuity and certainly uniqueness, then you'll this is the place to find it. And it's, this is the time to get on it because it's only going to get harder to understand. 100%. Guaranteed. What you got? Uh, we're going to stay in the uh, intergalactic political conflict sphere. Hey, hey. And, uh, but we haven't talked about it in a minute. Strange Adventures. Oh, wow. Number yeah. nine. The Return by the three-headed monster that is Tom King, Mitch Jarrett, and Evan the Doc Shaner. Ugh. And... I mean, there's nothing else I can really say about this book at this point. Like, it's number nine, and it's, yeah. it's still really fucking good. Like, like imagine that. Yeah, uh, but crazy. This was this was this one was a weird one because it kind of fell on me the the scope of the events that are occurring, but everything's just been set up so well that I just like just like read it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I had to like read it again to be like, oh shit. But when I read it the first time, I was like, yep. Yep, that's what happens. Oh yeah, yep, that's paying off now. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yep, check. check. Mm-hmm. And it's just Tom King, just like they're just flowing, man. It's just like it's very clear that this is just second nature to this particular group of uh, individuals at this time, because it's just it's just seamless the way the story is going. Uh, what I mean by that is that there's three central figures: uh, Adam, his wife Alana, and uh, Mr. Terrific. And each couple issues, they each get the spotlight. And these last couple issues, they've all been like near and around the center, being ah. handled just as equally, um, equally as well, but in different ways. For example, Miss Terrific like barely talks in this issue, and Alana talks a lot. But you still get the vibe, and their presence is still so so prevalent because of the buildup and because of the setup we've had, you know, in the previous eight issues. So all mm. of their movements, all of their actions are so meaningful now. The real, the real McGullen, the real big hiccup here, sure, uh, is that uh, I guess I, I kind of talk about the last issue. Last issue, real quick, the picks attacked the Earth. They're here right. now. Big fights going down. Bunch of them versus the Justice League. And we did not handle it well. And by that, I mean Tucson, Arizona is gone. It's dead. It's out of here. Oof. We, we, we missed it. Shout out to Tucson. Rip. Uh, and Deuces. now everyone's just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember a couple of issues ago when right. Marshall Manhunter was like, guys, like we're the Justice League. Like we got it. It's, it's, it's fine. Like we got, we, I do remember that. We deal with this shit all the time. And Alana was like, all right, like we literally dealt with this and we're not able to in like a feasible manner, <laughs> to be completely <laughs> honest. Like you you need our help. Uh also in this issue, they put out the report on Adam Strange. Oh wow. Mr. Terrific's report that he's been um that's been creating up until now. Right. But it's like put out in like the most non-Mr. Terrific way possible, which really gave me some question marks, which I think is intentional, of course. But it was essentially spliced together. It was kind of fast, quick, like almost like a bullet point-like report. So not you know, not a lot of hard details, not a lot of right. anecdotes, almost just like what you would see on like, you know, 10 o'clock news and some guys just kind of like going through it, right? And I don't want to say it kind of falls flat, but but it does in the wake of what occurs. 
And what occurs is the fallout of everyone in America saying, damn, dude, we just lost Tucson, Arizona, and the Justice League was right there. Yeah, like, like, shit. Like, what's going on right now? And Alana takes the stage, takes the stand, not the stand, but she's on TV and saying, told you. Right. I, yes, I, she did. I, I remember. I, I fucking told you. You guys are out here trying to put dirt on our name, trying to damn us, trying to talk about all these allegations. And guess what? Everything in that little shitty report is true. Adam did all those things that Mr. Terrific said. Oof. He killed that guy. He killed that other guy. He killed those dudes. He killed all those dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything that you read is true. And you know why it's true? Because Adam Strange is a fucking hero. Damn. He did what he had to do to protect the people he loved. You guys can talk about your truth. You can talk about your justice. You can talk about doing the right thing. But when it comes down to it, when it comes down to you and your life and your family and their lives, who do you want protecting you? Someone who cares about justice or someone who cares about your life? Wow. And then they pan to the newscast and it's just Mr. Terrific watching the news, like watching it unfold, right? <laughs> and then it's, I, I do, it felt like I was watching CNN. <laughs> um, and, they're, and they're just kind of like, you know, we read the report, said the report was true. And like, yeah, they said the report was true. And they were like, but you know, the report was true. You know, this is a time where we need someone to really stand up for us. Shit. This is a time where we need someone who doesn't act like a hero, someone who is a hero, no matter what that entails, no matter what that takes, no right. matter what that means, because Good he God. needs to be a hero for us, the people that he is protecting. And Mr. Terrific is like, holy shit. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> crazy <laughs> like alana just hits the big spin master class and like right yeah and and to, to miss terrific's fairness i don't think he saw it coming this way i think he knew there was going to be some kind of rebuttal some kind of you know way to to circumvent it right i don't think he saw the hard spin the direct spin coming yeah the real lean into it i mean that's the best way to do it right yeah you, you and you have some kind of allegation like that. You just lean into it, and then you take instead of arguing the the veracity of it, yep. just accept it, and then spin it into a way that's meaningful yep. for the people you're trying to manipulate. Just move, move the move the frame. Yep, you know, literally acknowledged. Then we're moving on, and like I said, it resonated with the people to the of course. Point, oh to, yeah, to the point where like you know what they so the Justice League is they can't do anything to Adam because they're not that kind of entity. But right. they returned. They turned over the reports to the authorities, and they're gonna let them take care of it. And we're getting hints that the authorities aren't gonna do a fucking damn thing about no. this because the only person they know is gonna take a body for them is Adam Strange because they just read the report that Adam Strange caught all the bodies. Yeah. Good lord. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of where this ends, really. Wow. Um, it uh it ends uh on uh kind of uh, the 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 uh. I want to say almost C-plot now, but their daughter, Elena, the one who was allegedly dead. Right. So in the previous issue, it was Adam and Elena about to go on like this uh, excursion, like kind of it was like a downtime during the war or whatever. And they're about to, you know, uh, traverse like a long, you know, part of this open countryside on Rand or some shit like that. Right. And uh, this issue opens with her tombstone. 
So it's assumed <laughs> that that excursion didn't go well. No, probably not. Right. But at the end of this book, like I said, Mr. Terrific's watching the news and he's just like, this is absurd. This is ridiculous. We see him like wrapping up his hands. So I'm, it looks like he's about to go whoop ass. Yeah. He picks up a pen and starts writing a letter to Elena, the daughter. Oof. And I'm like, yo, what? And, All right. And then the last page is in the past. It's Adam and Alana in bed. And real quick, Adam says something to the effect of, I really wish we could see our daughter one more time. And I really believe we'll be able to because there are different worlds. And this whole time, if you remember, Adam has been saying that I am the hero of two worlds. I am of right. two worlds. And this whole time we've been believing he's been talking about Ran and, and Earth. Earth, yeah. But now we don't know what the fuck this man is talking about anymore because he is unhinged, dude. Dude, he's he is dangerous. gone. So that's Strange Adventures number nine. Wow. Okay. So hit me. Uh, tinfoil hat, <laughs> which is actually hysterically going to play into this. Tinfoil hats on. One of the last things that happens in Mr. Miracle, I'm sure you remember, is Metron showing up mm. in the Mobius chair. Yes, big dog. And he is like Scott. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Orion's dead. And spoiler alert, everybody's dead. It's not really a spoiler. They all die really fast. Yeah, so, fast. so he's like, everyone's dead here. And you killed the guy. And it's now like, what is happening? Like, this isn't supposed to be it. Right. And he, Scott's like, what does that mean? And he goes, this is just, this is your world. But there are many worlds. Oh, my God. He literally, I think it's like word to word. He says, there are many worlds. Are you alluding and to the potential king verse? The king verse. I'm not a, just alluding to it. The sad verse, if I you will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dude. The sad verse, the downer verse, the depressive verse. <laughs> the depressive verse. It's, it exists. And it's full of, of broken men. <laughs> Saving lives. <laughs> the meta of the cause. And it's great, dude. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, that would be a that'd be a twist. Yeah. Holy so, shit. Yeah, so a lot a lot of moving parts, a lot of things working. This book is I keep saying it. Always forget about it when it's not in my hands. Right. As soon as it's in my hands, it's Quality. the fucking thing. Damn. Well, you're gonna want to keep oh, your tinfoil hats on. Oh folks, shit. Are we here? Department oh, of Truth my God. issue seven. Which has been as Tinian still writing it, but we have a switch over to uh, Tyler Boss doing our art. All right. So, oh, do you want to say why? Yeah, absolutely. So the past issue and this one are both part of a um, like a intermediate period, like an intermediary right. period, a transitional period, a, a liminal period. If Call you will. it the uh, secret archives. The secret archives, and that's a good way to describe it. So, as you remember from the last one, we have a. Young Lee Harvey Oswald, <laughs> fresh face, right off the grassy knoll. Jesus, <laughs> is, that, is that too dark? <laughs> I know it was the Texas book depository. Whatever the Texas book depository, wherever he killed a man, who allegedly. So we have him down here in the archives of the Department of Truth itself. Okay. Okay. So. As we talked about before, the Kennedy assassination is, in in my opinion, I think with shared opinion, yeah. the birth of the hard modern conspiracy theories. Hundred percent. Anything that predates that is not nearly as 
as nefarious, it's as, folklore. as capricious as yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is nowhere near the CIA set up a, a fake murder of right. a, a president, the of president, a president. That is so far fetched. That wow. is such a, a sweeping and a malicious <laughs> conspiracy. Yeah, dude. <laughs> that to this day, you know, it's it holds up as one of the craziest ones. 100%. Crazy compared to bush crashing towers. Crazy compared to fake moon landings. This is still fucking bonkers. And so it's interesting that this is the beginning point, as far as we know, for things. Right now, the battle over truth we find out in the previous issue is a lot older. So old that it involves the uh, the beginnings of the Catholic Church, right. so ancient societies who realized the power of the majority, I think is what they called it, kind of, um, and realized that and started utilizing it for their advantage. So in this issue, instead of going into the far, far deep dive of, hey, Charlemagne's fake. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, we had a one that was a little closer, and this time it was about Doc Hines. Doc Hines being the uh, the older guy who wears the tinfoil hats in the more recent <laughs> Department of Truth stuff. So he's there. He's the one who does a lot of the like connecting yeah. the strings for pictures and yeah. stuff like that. He's kind of like the hard research guy. And here we have him as just a kid. In the oh, 60s, shit. right? Hanging out with Lee Harvey Oswald. And so we get his origin story here. So the simple and dirty is he wears the foil hat. Why does he wear the foil hat? So he <laughs> is he is one of the first generation of UFO hunter types. Oh, shit. Okay. So, but here's the interesting caveat of this. So this story is told um, by its frame story. He's, he's telling it to Lee Harvey Oswald. Who discovers an issue of one of the books he wrote or magazines he wrote um, about the Men in Black? Oh, right, shit. one of the best conspiracy theories that spun off into Slender Man. I mean, it is the, the classic G-Man bullshit. Mm-hmm. I love it, dude. Oh yeah, and I was I'm waiting for it, you know. <laughs> so that's kind of that was kind of the fun twist on this right. was you think it's about aliens because he goes and he talks about saucers it's all set in his ch- as a childhood so even further back in the 60s we're in the 50s post Roswell alien sightings all over the place right. and he details some of those alien sightings but he details them framed with the appearances of and the meddling of these men in black oh. and so he's talking about how one guy you know in 47. Um, the first known sighting of the men in black talks big lore dump here just yeah. about this p- historical real event that did occur nice. uh, <laughs> as the first appearance of these men in black who showed up, had strange physical properties and took evidence or potentially manipulated the outcome of, of historical events. And he just keeps on going off. He's rattling these things off. All these big pages yeah, are individual shit, stories <laughs> about. I know there's a lot of them about these men in black and what they can and can't do. Okay, um, they're supposed they have, in, they're incredibly tall, incredibly strange, off-putting physically. They seem like they seem like figures in human skin. They have superhuman strength. Um, they have this aura that can potentially cause like physical pain or headaches and all sorts of things that don't make any sense. But they, the thing that kind of brings them together is they all seem to appear around any kind of UFO or flying saucer uh, sightings or or some kind of um, some kind of events involving those which are numerous in this time period okay 
And so, what our man Doc Hines, which by the way, he's not a doctor, he's a kid. It's like an aspirational nickname gotcha. he gave himself. <laughs> I know, <laughs> nerd. But um, so he's telling this this guy. This is when we find out this guy is probably an FBI agent he's talking to. Okay. Who wants to just know. He's like, tell me this. Like, give me the lore. He's like, I thought you were going to be like an actual doctor. I thought you were going to be an old man who could tell me things. Like, you're just a kid, idiot kid. Right. And he's like, no, I'm not just an idiot kid. I also have obsessed over this. And I'm a nerd idiot kid with nerd (laughs) knowledge that only a passionate nerd can have over such things. Incredible. Right? So plumbing the depths of the nerd knowledge. We have, we come to kind of like the big point in this, and this is kind of what resonates across a lot of the Department of Truth conspiracies. So what he ends up talking with him about is the reason he writes the book about the men in black is because he doesn't have a problem with the UFOs. He doesn't think it's conspiracy at all. He doesn't think they're far-fetched or faked or any of that. He thinks this is real and they're just things that are occurring because the universe is a really big place and that the UFOs really aren't something to be scared of. The, the, these saucers, they're either visitors or the people that are interested in us. And there's something almost flattering about that for sure. Like, right. they don't seem to be necessarily malicious. What is scary is that whenever these events occur, these otherworldly creatures show up connected to the events, but seemingly disconnected from the parties in the events. They're not. They're not part of the alien visitors, and they're not part of the humans living there. They're this third party that seems to be hindering these interactions. They're disappearing evidence. They're hurting people. They're they're threatening people. They're they're coming under the guise of governments sometimes. Yeah. All these strange things. What is that about? Why is there this third party? That wants to stop these interactions. That wants to stop this and and keep these things as as fringe conspiracy theories. It doesn't want a proper UFO to come into the American lexicon. They don't want these things to be part of what we think about and what we experience. Right. Why? And the fact alone that they're trying to manipulate that has to be malicious. Right. In essence. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly the whole thing in Department of Truth, right? Yeah. It's not necessarily the conspiracies. It's not, you know, who shot JFK or, you know, school shootings aren't real. It's the fact that there are people or entities that are trying to convince you right. that these things are or are not real. Either way. And it, what is – that's the scary part. Yeah. That's the power and the fear and, and, and the concern. Why are they doing this? How are they achieving this? Right. And so that's something that he hits on that is, I think, kind of like the core of what this book is about. Right. Anyway, shouldn't have hit on that. <laughs> he gets a card from this man. The card is just a number. It's He tells him, hey, look, I'm not leaving you my name. I'm not leaving you anything. Just call this number and leave a message for me if you ever interact with these beings because he's never interacted with them. He's just written the reports. He's done the research whole nine yards. He's never actually had to deal with with one of these men in black. So they pack up, they finish, say goodbye, homie heads on home, and then he gets to his place in the middle of nowhere, and the second he gets there, phone starts ringing. Picks up the ring, says, hello, this is the Heinz residence, Dalton speaking, and then in a weird letter text box with like morphing text, it says, you are the doctor that is not a doctor. He's like, hello? (laughs) Nice, got him. (laughs) 
You are present. I am in your house. I am present. Boom. Lights. Boom. I'm scared. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Hangs up the phone. Nice. Here's the voice again. Nice. You are not you're the doctor that is not the doctor. You are present. I am in your house. I am present. It's the doctor. It's it's a man in oh black. Oh my god. Floating on floating across the floor. Legit chills right now. Pass. Down my spine. Terrifying nope. event. They have this strange interaction. He immediately starts feeling sick and ill. Next thing you know, when he starts talking to him, he's the uh, this man in black asks him to stop understanding, to stop seeking out the man in black. As he's talking to him, he threatens him and says, or you won't exist anymore. His eyes start bleeding. He's like, I don't understand. I don't exist. This is like a 17-year-old kid. And then this... The this man in black points over to this, and the kid's like, "It's a lamp," and the guy's like, "It's a lamp." He's like, "No, it's a lamp." He goes, "Oh, it's a lamp," and he grabs it, breaks it, and starts screaming at him, and it causes him to start bleeding from his ears and all this stuff. So he doesn't know what to do. Everything just feels awful. What? Okay. And earlier in the book, I'm sorry. So remember how the, <laughs> the first book, the book he shows to. Lee Harvey Oswald is wrapped yeah. in foil. Right. The same is as the book he brings for the FBI agents, also wrapped in foil. Okay. He explains to him that he wraps them in foil to protect the covers. It helps them keep their shape better. Nice. It's just one of those like weird quirks that he does to keep his stuff in good shape. Mm-hmm. So while he's talking with this person, the F- the man in black says, the working has begun again. Doors are open. And then the head of the alien turns into the room, the woman in the red dress with no eyes. What? Yep. And she says, tell the man that she is angry. And while this is happening, he's ripping off the foil and he starts wrapping it around oh. his head to try to protect himself from what's happening. Nice. And the alien goes, you will see her and then you will see nothing and disappears. And then you see a little UFO flying away and he's wrapped up in the foil and he's feeling terrible. Wow. And that's how it ends. And he's like, <laughs> and Lee Harvey Oswald, like, you saw that shit? And he's like, yep. And he's like, oh, well, I'm really sorry. Like, I didn't mean, I should not have taken your hat off as a joke. What? Like, it was, uh, it was a real thing that occurred to him. And that's why he wears the tinfoil hat is because it seemed to hamper the interactions that was occurring with the, uh, with the man in black. Jesus. And he wears it to this day. And that's they kind insane. of like. They become friends and they start to bond over their lack of understanding about things, but their desire to understand them. And then they start talking about, as far as these like men in black, you know, what it, what are they really like? What is, is this magic or is this like some other weird sci-fi alien shit? Like, what right. what's the real deal of it? And he like to understand what this means, we got to go further than anyone before. And Doc Hines asks, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "You're gonna help me catch one of those bastards." Dun dun dun! What? Right? Secret files. And I think after this, we're back to uh, back to normal. Back to normal. Yeah, correct. this is the next one. So, yep. oof. Starface so, Man again. I wonder if the regular story is going to allude to this at all, or if we're just going to have to wait for mm-hmm. the next secret files for the follow up. It's a really good question. Also, yeah. I was wondering that um, because obviously this is the first time we've touched on the whole G-Man, Men in Black kind of stuff, right? Uh, which is one of my favorite weird conspiracy theories, right? And so I can't imagine it's going to play in 
at this moment, I think you're right. I think it's if we if we are gonna have these kind of intermissions almost like right. little like little palate cleansers between arcs, mm-hmm. I think we'll keep following this storyline and maybe adding in more members of the Department of Truth as we do it. Because it's a really good one to follow and it's a good one to introduce more people through. Right. Like as a vehicle for, for characters, it's great. Right. So um, I'm hoping that we see more of it. It's, it's very intriguing. But at the same time, everything in this book is intriguing. And I also would really like to get back to the A-plot nice. with Starface Man and Cole yeah. and all that craziness. The and who is Ruby and what's right. going on. Right. You know, I still want that. So, But yeah, also, book is very good. <laughs> read nice. it. Read the old, read the new. I know the trade's out. I can tell you that much. Trade is out. Bought it for Daniel. Nice. So, shout out. Shout outs again. <laughs> Happy birthday again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so go pick it up and uh, hop on. That's seven, so you'll be good to go. Nice. All right. I got two. Well, I got three left, but I got, I'm going to do two here in the back to back. Go for um, it. Both from Aftershock. I'm going to keep them both fairly quick. One, because it's on three and a lot happened and there's absolutely no way I'm going to sound intelligent talking about all of it. <laughs> um, and the other one, because it's only on two and the story is very straightforward. I'm talking about the first one first. First one is I Breathe the Body by Zach Thompson. Nice. Art by Andy McDonald. The letter, I'm sorry, the coloring is by Triana Farrell, and the lettering is by the big homie whose name I always struggle with, uh, Hassan Osman Alohal, I want to say. Uh, But he is on essentially everything that I'm really digging right now, so shout out to him. And the only way I can really break down I Breathe the Body is by talking about the four central characters. First character I want to talk about is Mr. Bromwell who is the CEO of MyC, which is the app that is central to the story. MyC is essentially a live streaming app focused on just being as as vulnerable, as transparent, as you know, open as possible on the app. A lot of it revolves around you just streaming your regular daily life, much like going on a Twitch date. With, okay. you know, whatever her face is. Sure, Amaranth? But, right, with oh, Amaranth. God. But it's like, for whoever, like me and you could be doing it and they could, we can gotcha. get like, you know, hundreds of thousands of views or whatever the case is. OK. Um, and he is the at the helm of that. OK. Next character to focus on is his son, Milo. Milo, not only the son of the CEO of my C, he is also the biggest content creator on my C. Ah. Why is that? Because his dad made some weird pack with a plant magic witch monster on some strange amulet in order to make all this possible. We haven't gotten all that information yet, but that's a fact. That happens in the first couple pages, right? Right? So Milo almost isn't even like a real person. He is quite literally the the creation of this fungus witch creature and this amulet that he wears. Fucking strange. Next character I want to talk about. (laughs) Next character I want to talk about is Dalton, who is one of Milo's assistants slash (laughs) uh, handlers, whatever. Like a moderator in the chat. Oh, God. Almost the opposite. (gasps) He is in charge of making sure, as well as our protagonist, who I'll get to in a second. uh, Right. Another people I've talked about yet is our protagonist. (laughs) Dalton is his assistant uh, handler. Right. He's in charge of making sure that all of Milo's, you know, hijinks, happenings, whatever he does, 
can be spun as content. Because Milo's job is just live his life. Live his life however he wants because that's what his fans want. But Dalton and our protagonist and their jobs are to kind of curate the content, frame it in a way where it's always going to be received as just that, as just content, no matter okay. what it is. Okay. And then lastly is Anne, our protagonist, whose name may or may not be Zoe as well. And <laughs> she may or may not have a split personality, which may or may not involve her spending multiple pages talking to her inner narrative, which is someone else. That's exciting. It's a fun time. So that's our four big players. Okay. First issue, obviously, we're introduced to the app, introduced to our people. It ends with Bromwell saying, guys, we need something big. We need something juicy. We need something spicy. All right? Everything's been going really well. We're getting millions of views, millions of hits. We're the biggest app ever, but we need more. How do we optimize? And Ann's whole thing is, I don't care about that anymore. I want to be paid my value. I'm being like mistreated and undervalued here. I'm the one really running my seat because I'm the one curating Milo. I'm the one framing his story uh. in order for it to be received. And Milo doesn't give a fuck about anybody. He, all he knows is that he's the biggest thing since sliced bread, even if he's just slicing bread on my seat. Okay? Shit, nice. So it ends with Milo dying via the amulet. The amulet does this weird thing, comes alive or whatever the fuck, and his skin just starts peeling off. And then he bleeds out outside of like his window or some shit like that. And it's all on my seat because Milo live streams all the time. So his death was just on the Internet of his skin peeling off and him like deceasing. Issue one. Issue two. <laughs> oh, my God. Is the fallout of that. Bromwell, his dad has said, fuck, dude, my son's dead. Let's spin this. Yeah. How, can, how, how, <laughs> how can we optimize this? He, at one point, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the actual line, but he goes to Anne and was like, how do we make this art? Like, 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 break, like, break, like, break it down to me. And this is, this is your job. This is, this is your, this is your field. How do we make this work? And Anne's like, what the fuck? The fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, I know we were doing some sick, dark shit before, you know, sucking the kids dry for essentially no content at all. But now this is, this is, this is the absolute black hole of content. We're selling someone's live death. As if it were a thing that you should consume. Jeez. Okay. That's more or less issue two. Wow. <laughs> um, at the end of issue two, you know they they you know they figure out a way to spin it. They they uh they dress up his like disembalmed body. They like open it up, take all the organs, and they put, like, flowers in it and shit and live stream that as, like, some kind of, like, weird, like, death monument to him, right? Issue three, next part. You ready? You ready? You ready? Own a piece of Milo uh. at a chance to have a piece of him forever. There's a fine, there are finite pieces of Milo that you, the fan, can have, can possess, can own. Wow. Because we knew how much you loved him and worshipped him and wanted the best for him. He wanted the best for you, too. That's why he wants to belong with you forever, for a price, for a small price, considering you guys' special relationship. 
Jesus Christ. Dude, this is, this <laughs> is serious. This is fucked, dude. Even crazier, issue three takes the hard genre shift and it goes, it says, all right, we were doing the whole Black Mirror thing with a bit of the, 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 the horror vibe here and there, right? Yeah. He says, no, this is all this this weird fantasy horror thing now. So we're seeing the witch in, in, in full flex. We pan over to, yeah, you're, what you're looking at right now. Yep, yep, this is, I did the same thing. Oh, my. We are live streaming dogs, like attack dogs. Remember uh, Milo's body that they were streaming when it was disemboweled? It's like the yeah. monument. Yeah, the dogs are eating that monument now. 10 million hits live. Good Lord. Bromwell's like, dude, I can't stop thinking this shit, man. I'm rolling with this. <laughs> <laughs> I might just start doing this myself. And I'm like, holy, oh, my God. Um, And Dalton, at this point, can't handle it. He's like, dude, I I have to I loved Milo. Like, that kid was awesome. He was a piece of shit. He was a scumbag, but he was my piece of shit. He was my scumbag. (laughs) I've been with him since, since the start. And Anne's like, I don't care about any of this, dude. All I'm here to do is my job, and that's cutting content. I don't give a fuck about what it is. I don't care where it's from or who's consuming it. I got nothing to do with that. I got nothing to do with me. I'm smart enough to know that this is this isn't shit that you should just throttle yeah. down your mouth and get off on. I understand that someone's death isn't a production. It is not my fault that these people are so enamored with this. And then the voice <sighs> in their head starts talking. It's like, are you a fucking idiot? Do you realize what you have just been complicit in, you psychopath? <laughs> um... Sorry, I'm losing it. Uh, a, lo- a lot happens. How could you not? Uh, the, the long story short, uh, she's getting voices. She's getting. She's been right. getting these these triggers. All right, and we've been getting hints about what it is. We get the hard reveal of what it is. It's the fucking fungus witch thing speaking to her through Milo's dead body, which is still enchanted by the amulet or whatever. So the dead body is like, you need to go find this amulet. And Anne's like, what the fuck is going on, dude? dude. Why Why are we like this? Why are we doing this? And the witch Milo skinless monster thing is like, just do what the fuck I say. Do you not see what's going on right now? Why would you? Why, why are you questioning this? You are clearly a part of something bigger right now. So just go along with it unless you want something to happen to, you know, you or Zoe or your daughter and it was weird because Zoe's like her other name and then she referenced her daughter I'm like what the fuck is you are you talking about now (laughs) (laughs) um well how does how does this fucking even end um oh yeah it ends it ends with Dalton he he goes over to Bromwell it's in the middle of night it's raining beautifully done they have the brain going through the the dialogue bubbles so you almost can't tell what they're saying and they don't have the dialogue connected to people so you can't tell exactly who's saying what beautifully done that's smart um so the whole time we're seeing this we're like who's yelling at who who's saying what what's going on but it's dalton talking to bromwell in regard to milo next day dalton kills himself on my sea like fucking samurai as style like Fucking sepulchre, jeez Louise. All out saying, this was from Milo. 
I loved him the way every all of you do, and I'm doing this for him. If you loved him as much as I do and you were connected to him the way I was, you would do this in honor of Milo. Oh my god. And that's how it ends. That's that's pretty dark. Holy shit. So like I said, I, I what a trip. And I, I glanced over a lot of things <laughs> that, that occurred in the oh first my couple god. issues. So yeah, uh, Zach Thompson, Andy McDonald, and the rest of the squad on I Breathe the Body number three. This is this is shaping up to be a yet another one of those. <laughs> um, well, hell. And I'll make the hard transition into another Aftershock book by Stephanie Phillips, our girl. Oh, nice. Art by Tony Sheaston. Colors by J.D. Mettler and letters by Troy Pettery. And of course, I'm talking about Nuclear Family, issue number two. Oh, my God. Right. I forgot. Right? So did I, kind of. Um, issue number one. We got our boy, Tim McLean, his family, post-Korea. He's working at the car dealership with his boy, Dan. You know, they're wheeling and dealing, kind of. He goes yeah. back home, got the big radio set in, listening to the airwaves because he's paranoid as shit. He was in Korea, um, <laughs> freaking out. He goes outside, still talking about the first issue, bombs going off. Boom, 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 bombs going off. He runs in, grabs his family, go to the bunker. They come out. SWAT team comes in, says, Tommy scum, what the fuck are you doing here? That's issue one. Yep, that's if I remember it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> issue two opens. Tim McLean saying, Tommy scum, I'm American. I was born in America. Hell Look yeah. at my bunker. Hell this is the yeah. most American thing on the block Truly. right here, partner. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> and they're like, you know, questioning him. He's questioning them. Like, what's going on? What do you think you're doing? Who do you think I am? Who do you think you are? I am. All that's good stuff. Perfect. Um, and they're just like, listen, dude, clearly either you're a commie or you're fucking dumb. Either way, you're coming with us. And he's like, I'm not going to anybody. I need, I need answers right now. One of the SWAT team members takes off their mask. Guess who it is, dude? It's fucking Dan, the, his co-worker <sighs> and former uh, partner in Korea. All right. Uh, he sees Dan and was like, yo. Dan, bro, <laughs> what's going on? I like, why are you doing this? Dan looks at him, looks at his his crew, and says, "I've never seen this man a day in my life. Put him in the truck." <laughs> I'm oh like, my oh, god! What? Are you kidding me? They're rolling through Milwaukee, Milwaukee leveled, nothing there, like not even like post-apocalyptic level, like actually nothing. Um, and they keep saying, where's Milwaukee? We're from Milwaukee. What's going on? And everyone in the truck's like, Milwaukee? I haven't heard that name in years. And we're like, wait, what do you, what? So we keep going. We keep going. We're going far. Okay. Like into like the desert or whatever, the, wherever fucking desert is closest to Milwaukee. That's a long way. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a <laughs> right. Um, big cave underground. You got to see this whole time. They're talking. They're trying to figure out what the dealio is. Of course. And they're getting the lowdown from the people saying, "Listen, whatever you're talking about, that's that's nothing. You're 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 wrong. The the future is now, old man. Love it. We live underground. Whoa. This is an underground city under a cave in the middle of the desert. And this seems to be some kind of base of operations for some group of individuals. Okay, nice. The geo bubble thing and from uh, from Vangelion, like Tokyo Three, dude. Basic, hey, basically, the kaiju in this." <laughs> I'm waiting, dude. 
Go ahead. Might as well at this point. Fuck yeah. it. You know? Close enough. Uh, but we find out that all of this is a result of, you know, the fucking Russians. The Apparently, they, like, carpet bomb nuked, like, America at some point. Right? And I'm like, what is, what do you, what does that mean? <laughs> um, and they, they, they're going through that story. And all while this is going on, they're going down this elevator. Now, look how big this elevator is. Now, they're already underground. Right. And they're geez. going down this, like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, almost like telephone pole high. It's massive. Yeah. S elevator going downwards. They hit the bottom floor and it's like this hub of like greenery. But I, I was looking for like fruits or like vegetables, but it was just like bushes and like shrubbery and stuff. And I was like, are we literally just having to restart vegetation in general? Jeez. Kilometers underground right now? <laughs> um, like what what is going on? Uh and then okay, then it ends with the pun intended bombshell. Nice. Tim's like, all right. I have tried to listen. I'm trying to receive all this the way I'm supposed to, and it's not adding up. I need answers. His daughter says, oh, wait, I have an idea. Someone tell me, like, what year is it? And his dad's like, stop being silly. Classic. What do you, what do you mean? And the the director of the whole shindig is like, it's 1968. And Tim's like, you mean 58? And the guy's like, nah, I'm like 68. And he's like, nah, dude, we went in the bunker in 1958. And then the guy's like, I don't think you need to be asking us questions. We need to be asking you what the fuck you've been doing for the last 10 years, bro. And that's where the book ends. Well, that's crazy. So, yeah, Nuclear Family, Stephanie Phillips and Tony Sheaston. I'm on this. The first one was Dude, pretty good. This one was fantastic. That's just bonkers. Love, love this. Stephanie is crushing it. Tony does doing a great job in the artwork. I, I, I'm having a hard time trying to describe it because, like I said, it's still it's very dialogue driven, not a lot of action, but everything is like very dramatic, very emotional, a lot of dynamism. The faces, the eyebrows, the silhouettes, all very emotional, I guess. Because hmm. like, there's like I said, there's no real like action yet. The, right. the action is is literally like you creating it in your mind as they're going through the dialogue of what may right. or may not have occurred. Just that character drama that yep. you get from interactions, yeah. over, like you said, over dialogue. Yeah. yeah. That can be the most compelling shit when it's done right. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. One of, definitely one of Stephanie's strengths, I would say, for sure. So, something that is... Oh, God. Here we go. Oh, a little sh- bit lacking in, the, in dialogue oh. in that regard. We have Felipe Bergson's Bunny Jane. I've been waiting for this, dude. Oh, uh, dude, you um, here we are. We've arrived. So self-published. This is in fact, yeah. This is a self-published through I think through the efforts of a Patreon. Nice. Um, shout out to patrons. Shout out to the patrons everywhere. Shout out to all you guys who who gave. I've I have to respect it. You know, this is a local artist, local in the localest way. As in, there's a um, there's like one of these like fun little doc like sponsored by yeah. like ads in here yeah and at the bottom of it under the hello at video shampoo.com place uh it's st petersburg florida nice. uh, yeah man it's Saint Pete. it's we 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 the pete <laughs> so yeah. we we the pete pull anyway so bunny jane had to go for the shakespearean one even <laughs> though i will admit they have 
once again mixed up the scenes in Hamlet. Where <laughs> Hamlet is holding the skull, but then he's hitting the to be or not to be. That is two different scenes. When he's holding the skull, it's the skull of Yorick. That's the last poor Yorick. I knew him well. It's not at all the to be or not to be. Doesn't matter. Had to hit him anyway. So, what is this book about? Well, it's escaping from hell. Or whether or not you should escape from hell. Nice. And in the beginning of this, and this the, talks about how it's all written, letter, lettered, illustrated by our boy Felipe. And this is dedicated to the time when he laughed until he cried when he first got high with some of his boys. Okay. So, and dedicated to all of us who also get high. Shout out. Shouts out to everybody who does drugs. And that is... <laughs> That is kind of this book, actually. This is a shout out to everyone that does drugs. This is indeed a shout out to everybody who does drugs. So I was not on drugs when I read this. I probably would have enjoyed it more if I was. So what we have here is the adventures of Bunny and Jane. So Jane is our lead character. And then we have this marijuana leaf headed rabbit thing um, called Bunny. What? And so it's just kind of like falls from the sky while she's in the middle of a conversation with this like giant interdimensional cow thing while she's stoned. And so it falls from the sky right next to her. And then it falls in. It creates this hole in the ground. They fall through this hole in the ground into hell. This is the coolest hell. Like this looks the most fun hell I've seen. Oh, and that it continues. (laughs) This, This hell is definitely the most fun hell you'll be in. And so you have, I mean the art style, especially this like with the with the title on it. It's impossible not to make the immediate connection to Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland's Rick and Morty. Right. Like no matter how you feel about Rick and Morty, whether you're well beloved loving it or not, I don't care about your feelings on it. Nice. But <laughs> if you liked it, you probably would like this. To be honest, gotcha. um, it has the same crude, typical American art style. It's the kind of thing you'd imagine drawn on the Ben's wall. Nice, you know, which I like. There's there's a charm to it, and Absolutely. this book, I think the thing that is the most compelling about it, the best about it, is the charm and the love that you can tell it's put into. It. Like right. this guy did not make this comic to make money. This guy did not make this comic to build a name for himself. He wrote this comic because he genuinely has fun drawing it, yeah. and he genuinely has fun just living his life and being a creative cat. Damn. Well, and it's hard not to love that. Really, I mean, like it deserves <laughs> props for that. Like for sure. there's there's all kinds of like even simple simple jokes, simple things. About that show his attention to detail right. and the attention to detail. I think we talked about this before is just, is a sign of someone's real genuine love and dedication to a project. Absolutely. So simple things like as the bunny's falling from the sky, it falls through a cloud and makes a little marijuana leaf hole, like a, like a bugs bunny character right. basically love it. would do. And you know, these kind of like little beats, bits of details really show how much he enjoys it. So what's the actual book? basically Jane talking to the bunny while it doesn't respond to her about hell and the hell that she'd imagined. Like she initially imagined hell would be just a world made of peas. You got to live <laughs> in the pea world and everyone there is made of people and they're, nice. they're people. Nice. And then you see this kid pissing peas on the floor. Whoa. And the only thing you can eat is pea soup and the pea soup is made by disembodied feet. And I was like, this is, this is rough. That's gross. <laughs> um, and then she's just like doing the classic kind of like stoner thing where it's like, you do the whole, yeah, I think hell is just where you just drink pea soup your whole life. And he's like, do you believe in God? And the next thing you know, it's like they're crashing through a giant 
woman in like pulling off the baby heads that are attached to her shoulder. So there's, I know this, there is no real logic to it. So it's funny. Cause like some of the art is like really reminiscent of, of, and this is maybe the best compliment I can give this guy is like some of the triptychs I've seen of, there's a triptych that's called um, like the garden of good and evil, I think. Okay. And it's basically, it shows Adam and Eve and in the garden, in the garden of good and evil, and then it shows their descent and in hell at the end. Oh, I know this one. It's a very, it's a very famous oh, yeah, trip from yeah. the rest. It's so sick. Yeah, but it has this kind of like same vibe as far as like the Wait, monsters. He, he alludes to that. It's more just like the. Uh, it's like it's a color choice. It's like uh, the strangeness I see of what the you're monsters. Saying. Like these are a lot. This is like a more comical take on that kind of aspect. Right, but like. I think it's the disembodied parts. It's like the the facial features gotcha. and stuff like that, like built into the landscape. Right. It's kind of reminiscent of that. Again, if I could say like like Degoya, um, and those like kind of artists, like the the brutal like hellish depictions of hell mm-hmm. that are brutal and disturbing because of like the body horror essentially right. the detail in it. it. Yeah, um, and it does have some of those, but they're played for they're for played for jokes here. Right. Essentially, they're not nearly as brutal. I mean, there's the giant leaf-headed baby that's pissing its pants. Yeah. Like that's pretty funny. Um, the spinach leaf, the fallen cherub, and so <laughs> while they're here chilling, doing the whole thing, eventually they get to a point where they're asking the real questions. Hell is actually not that bad. Do you like it here in hell? <laughs> Do you want to stay in hell? What's hell? Well, like, what's the deal? You know, we're going, we're like, it's not been bad. It's been like a pretty solid experience for Jane so far. Right. And so she's kind of contemplating whether or not she wants to leave hell. Right. Like, this is just a, almost either a lateral move or maybe even a step up in some ways for her. And she gets an invitation to go hang out with Satan, go to a party, just throwing a party, chilling, right? And so decides to go. The music's fire. Everyone's having a good time. She meets Satan. Satan's this three-headed like fat dude with just with a n- number one dad shirt on, like it's pretty fun, and he has a uh, he has like black bars across his face. It says "Content Blocked by Parental Advisory Board" on it. Jeez, okay, it's pretty fun. All right, I like um, it. And so he meets a pretty chill guy. Like all three of the heads say different things. <laughs> nice. One of those kind of sticks. And so she's going around hanging out, having a pretty good time with everything, and she's still doing like kind of like her random jokes. About how, like, she doesn't want to go back to her real life selling designer forks. And there's, like, the AK spork. Then there's the space fork and a jetpack spork. All right. This is pretty good. And yeah. That, like, those kind of bits, those humor parts, because this is comedy. This is a common comedic book. For sure. That humor lands way better than other bits of humor. So, the stoner humor's a bit pedestrian to, to you know go back right it's a bit you know it's kind of what you imagine like haha i'm stone like what well, like it's like hard that? to read stoner humor it really <laughs> it really is it doesn't come off great and especially again like i was perfectly sober whether you're right, drunk right. or high or whatever for this you might enjoy a little better whatever it doesn't matter um good humor period should be funny regardless of your state of inebriation mm-hmm. but those parts don't land as well as these kind of parts which are actually pretty funny um and pretty clever so what ends up happening there is she decides that she does not want to go back to her shitty life before. She, like, weird weed beams the devil and <laughs> kills the devil. Like, brutally cuts him in half. Oh. And this is the first time the bunny actually speaks. The bunny oh. says, 
you killed the devil. And then the next page is just all blank except for her like text. It's like, you can talk. And I, I like that. All right, that's pretty good. I actually really like that. Pushing the form. And so I was like, oh, what an interesting, that's an interesting twist, I guess, <laughs> at some level. And then out of nowhere, we see a, a literally a butt-faced man, which, again, is a very Justin Roiland thing to do, mm-hmm. um, calling in with, again, the fun details, the give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, which is a, a, from the Bible. You right, know, right. It's when asked about paying taxes, actually, right. Jesus was totally a socialist, but also <laughs> not, into, not into taxes, really. But uh, anyway, so they call somebody. And it's the a six fingered hand picks up, and the person, the butt faced man on the other side, says, "Your father's dead." And what? That's how it ends. Wait. Oh. Right. <laughs> oh man, and that's how it ends. So that is Bunny Jane to escape or not escape from hell. So. If you are a fan of the things I talked about here so far, nice. Go ahead and pick it up. If you're not, you're not going to make it through three pages of this book. <laughs> it's not going to be for you. 100% not. Now, as a local creator, I really wanted to support that. It was a suggestion from one of uh, one of our friends at Emerald City. Emerald City. So that was another reason I wanted to pick it up and give it a shot. And so I'll probably probably pick up the second issue. Nice, just dude. To see, like, again, Let's go. Them, support, Bunny Jane. Support Bunny Jane. Support local creators. Support St. Pete. Nice. Put us on, on the map. Uh, yep, and then the uh, to be honest, the there's a little quote at the end here. Okay, I don't know who this is from or if this is just our boy Felipe, but it says, "I found paradise. Adventure stories don't include minutia. Escapism doesn't include minutia. Heroes don't worry about minutia. I wish I didn't have to care about minutia." And I was like, "Well, you should be writing a different book than this." I, I would, I would agree. That is the energy. If that was this book, and the whole energy was maybe I should stay in hell because it's more interesting than a life that is predictable and safe. Yeah. That could be a way more just like a just compelling book, just a way better book. And you could have a lot of humor in it too. And maybe that could be where this goes. Like maybe this is just the first kind of thing getting our bearings and and they go down the route of all of this literature is how I want to exist. And so even if I have to live a tortured life, it's better than just the mediocrity, the right. drudgery of normal 2021 existence. Right. That would be something that I would love to read about by Felipe. Um, not sure if we'll go that way. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> right. But at the very least, I, I'll, I'll try. I'll try one more time, a couple we'll, more times. Well, that's all we got. can ask for. Right? So nice. there you go. If you want to read that and you're not from St. Pete, you're boned, I think. Hit us up. <laughs> yeah, we could get it for you. Yeah, exactly. Hit us up or call Emerald City. Yeah. Call Emerald City and they will let you buy it. Probably and they will send it to you. More than likely. They yes. will love the fact that you even know what it is. Yes, and so, tell them House of Comics sent you. They sh- you should, yeah. <laughs> nobody does. <laughs> but that's because nobody goes. <laughs> because, <laughs> because of us. <laughs> uh all right. All right, what you got? Last book we got is uh, another one I'm going to keep pretty short, mostly because... Once again, no way I could possibly talk about all the shit that happened in this. Sure. Uh, Giga number three. Oh, here we go. The, the Another reason why it's hard for me to talk about this is because this book decides to take two and a half to three months off in between issues each time. So I found myself having to keep going back just to figure out what was going on. Uh, it's written by Alex Pucknoddle, art by John Lee. Colorist is Roche, one name. 
And Aditya Bidikar is a letterer who we, you know, see all the time. Nice, yeah. All star. Um, and the real takeaway from Giga number three is that this book's too good for me. That's <laughs> that that's really all I gotta say. Like it's doing everything I want. Just way better than than I deserve for the most part. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, this book has exceeded my expectations, like on almost every level. Like I, I truly find myself like getting lost, whether it be when I'm reading the scriptures from the book of assembly or when I'm trying to figure out like, like, like the players in this world, the different factions that's still building out. Um, I, I love the, uh, the, the the meaningful flashbacks. I feel like too often we get into like the whole flashback phase is just a means to either like fill space or fill in something that we completely forgot or we probably should have put like uh somewhere in the actual narrative. But with Giga, the flashbacks are just it's you know when you're watching anime and you get that first flashback and you're like, ah, oh, okay. This this is how this works. This is how this is gonna weave into what we're yeah. doing. And then compared to when you get that same flashback for the from the fourth time, and it's just like there's not not the same feeling at all. I do. I've literally watched the episode three times now. It does such a good job of of circumventing that because each flashback feels like such a breath of fresh air because it's so hopeful, it's so genuine compared to the dark, desolate <laughs> um, like society we're currently in. Like so many things just working against the what. What you would think to be a natural order of society. It feels like no one is following any real rules post the death of this particular Giga. If you guys don't remember, the Gigas were big mech, mech slash like god s beings that were warring for some time, but then they kind of settled down and decided to accept humans like into them, unintu them yeah. as a means to like worship, but they also like use the Gigas as housing and stuff like that. And then one day the Gigas just halted cease to move, cease to like kind of like exist really just like, but their physicals were still there. So society kind of kept going just without the guidance of the Giga. So all they had was the book of assembly and whatever the fuck kind of society stems from when all your guys just stop moving and all you have left is a book about yeah. when you worship big moving robots. Yeah. That's um, tight, tight society though. Oh, no, it's sick. That's it's definitely the best part. Um, and it's just like so many cool visual things. Shout out to um, I'm, uh, John Lay on the art once again, doing such a good job with like the like visual cues. One that I'll, I'll, I'll bring up uh, real quick is eyes in shadows is a thing that he seems to be using something I didn't think you would, would use as a, as a device, right. <laughs> but it keeps popping up. And before it was popping up as a means to let you know that you need to like pay attention. Like we're doing things like off in the corner. We're doing things that you got to like keep your eyes peeled for. So it, 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 uh, it conditions you for it. So now when I'm seeing it, I kind of I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, OK, so what what are these eyes in the shadow means? And so now already in issue three, we're circumventing my expectations of what eyes and shadows mean. now. <laughs> like, I don't I don't. And this is not even about what's going on in the book. Right. <laughs> um, 
and and like I said, outside of that is the the incredible world building with the different factions. We got the Dusters, the people still following the Book of Assembly. Uh, we got our protagonist Evan, along with his AI that he's built, Laurel, and we got all these revelations that like yeah, Evan, he's in a wheelchair, and before he had prosthetics that were built by his friend, and now I didn't even notice this, but the prosthetics his friend built for him are the legs that his AI uses. He took off his prosthetics to start building his AI unit at some point. Jeez. And I was like, dude, this is fucking wild. Um, and that's just like one of the things that helps add on to like like the lore and the mm -hmm. world building and the character drivenness. Like just little nuggets like that. Just yeah. it and nothing was said about it. That no no word about that is spoken. But just visually seeing his legs as prosthetics and seeing them on his AI that he has essentially risked his life for in order to just have her exist. It's just so impactful you know and it, it gives so much to each of the characters like i said without anything being said about that particular uh, uh situation between the characters nice wow and all that stuff is going on everywhere Every, everyone has these weird relationships i mentioned you in the car that they, they, they keep mentioning blowjobs and 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 <laughs> yeah. and head in this book and it just seems silly at first but for some reason it's actually turning into a thing where it's like paying off dick jokes and really important like character development like character development as ways that i'm Wild. like it's insane and all this is on top of this beautiful prose coming from the book of assembly and then our main character uses terms like rat fucking like it's it's <laughs> it's everything it's it's perfect and like i said it's too good for me like i i i'm tempted to just just collect these until they're all there and then just read them. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I get that. I can't wait for the trade. That's not happening. But <laughs> I, I did struggle with going back because there was so dense. There was so much. And I really wanted to get into it. Sure. It's going to be one of those things where every time it comes out, I'm going to have to go back. And I don't have a problem with that. But at the same time, there's definitely a better way to read this. And it is straight through for 100 uh, percent. But yeah, that's all I really got to say about Giga number three from Alex uh, Pecknadal and John Lee. And of course, did your bit of card on the lettering. Wow. Well, a glowing review. Good week if for there's the books. There's ever been one. Yeah, great week for books. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a lot of heavy, heavy hitters, really. Seriously, though. I mean, the decorum department of truth back to back is, is brutal enough. Yeah, absolutely. Then all the stuff you got in circulation over there. I oh, mean, yeah. good Lord. Yeah, some fun indie stuff for sure. Definitely. Speaking of fun indie stuff, let's get into the stuff coming out this week. And by this week, Ooh. I mean earlier today as we were recording yeah. this <laughs> Wednesday night. So let's talk about the stuff we already got, technically. <laughs> Uh, still on the indie side, Commanders in Crisis number seven. Yeah, I'm rocking the shirt. Got the sick eight bit variant from Steve Orlando and Dave Tintinto. Engine War number nine from Vault. That one's still chugging along. Heck yeah, still fantastic. We'll never stop until issue twelve. <laughs> we got Green Lantern number one. Uh, our dip back into uh, the Space Odyssey team book. We've yeah. been needing it. We've been wanting it. It's about time. It seems around the perfect time with, like I said, JLO being off the shelves for a while. The Green Lantern solo uh, just ending. Wrapped. And uh, Far Sector on this Penultimate Edition, which is also a book that came out uh, today as well. Far Sector number 11. Right. Uh, so a lot, a lot of spacey stuff from the DC side this week. Also on the DC side, Swamp Thing. Yes. Number two. Oh, God, I'm excited. Rom V and Mike Perkins. Definitely excited about that one. Let's see what other DC stuff we got. Man Bat, number Hell three. Hell yeah. 
which is the, so next pod i'm definitely diving into the man bat you got to. i've been wanting to talk about it and this will be the perfect time to do it so speaking of the bat the bat is back he with is. batman 107 james tynan and jorge jimenez of course then like, clayton cowles is on the lettering still as well yeah the real star truly <laughs> truly the talent there putting those other guys to shame can't even remember them jimenez and somebody tiny man whatever <laughs> jimenez and tiny man but god jimenez is i mean jimenez is as uh, Scarecrow alone. Oh my God! Is worth dude. the price of admission. Oh, absolutely. What else we got here? Oh, another return. Seven secrets. Number oh, seven. Wow. Right. This is it, dude. The beginning of arc two from Tom Taylor and who was the artist on that? I I'm shameful. Danielle DiNicolo is the artist on uh, Seven Secrets. Definitely got to remember that. What else we got here? Hollow Heart number two. Uh, yep. Another vault book. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, you've been waiting on that one. I got to find out what happens to this sad robot. <laughs> uh, on the Marvel side, we got one Marvel book over here. Marauders number 19. Probably just going to be some some more filler before the Hell Gala, I, I'm assuming. We got Venom 34. This is the penultimate uh, issue of Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman's whole Venom run. Wow. Yep, yep. The Venom 35, which will also be Venom 200 if you go by the legacy numbers. I don't. Th- I don't even think that's how that. I don't think that's that's real. Actually, I think there's already a, a Venom 200. But anyways, <laughs> it's going to be a Venom 200, and that will be like the capstone, culminating big shebang bang to the sprawling Venom arc that has gifted us the beauties that have been Null and the Black Winter and all of these things that have really been you know Marvel's been building on for the last couple of years or so. So it'll be interesting to see how how that ends. No, a lot of people are looking forward to that. Noctera, number two. Woo! Scott Snyder, Tony S. Daniels. Woo! Goodness. And last one, uh, the crystal. This one's for you if you're listening. Joker Harley, (laughs) Criminal Sandy, number eight. I know you were looking for the trade. This is not the trade, but this is the last issue. So if you got to, all you got to do is wait a couple more months and then the trade will be out. So not that much more time left. I know you've only been waiting five months already (laughs) all right what are you what are you most looking forward to this week honestly probably (laughs) swamp thing nice it's either swamp thing or noctera i mean the bat is is exciting too the bat's in a great place like i they're all pretty much on equal standing the only thing that's i think pushing swamp thing ahead is i've been dying for more red green gray stuff in general and I then the Ron Venus of it. Oh, the you know, and it's an exciting new swamp thing, an exciting new grave villain, exciting new everything about it. So, you know, the Batman's been it's exceptionally good right now, and Noctera has a lot of promise as well. But damn, the swamp thing's got me. How about yourself? Well, my one is one that I just completely forgot to mention, even though that is 100% the book I'm looking forward to most. Project Patron, number oh, one. Oh, you picked that up. Yeah. yeah. Project Patron is a new indie series from Steve Orlando uh, from Aftershock, and this is shaping up to be a fun one. The whole, the basic premise is that what if, you know, a superhero, superman as character actually died fighting a doomsday as villain, and we had to cover that up? How, oh, that's pretty fun. What route will we take to, to uh, hide that from the public? turns out the route we take is to build 
cyborg supermen sure. that are piloted by real people in like a Gundam S Evangelion okay. fashion. Love that. So actually. it's 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 literally the the mashup. Like, what if the actual Superman was a Gundam that you like flew? That's that's actually pretty tight, right? And I'm like, dude, Steve Orlando is the perfect person also, for this yes. bag. <laughs> like, like also, yes. Jesus, this is this is a crossroads of a, of a lot of things right now. So, Lord. so definitely looking forward to that one. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, no, uh, no news for the uh, topic of the day for the uh, for next week. Haven't thought about that one yet, but keep uh, keep you posted on the uh, interwebs about that information when we let you know uh, what we're thinking about. Might not let you know until the pod. You know, might be a surprise. You Hey-o. never know. But until then, remember to keep, keep on comic booking, nerds. Woo. But um, uh, well, we don't have an out. Oh, we have an outro. Oh, yeah, we do. Do, do we? Do we need an outro stinger? Stinger into the outro, or just into wild. the outro? <laughs> I don't know. We'll work on that. We'll get back to it. Capital you know, Ghouls is literally this man's free bird.